Welcome to the IMDb Journey podcast, where we break down one movie a week from the top 250 and give our thoughts, our reviews, and any general discussion along the way. My name is Daniel Henderson, and I'm going to withhold a quippy remark this week out of respect. My name's Dean Jeffrey, and I'm going to do the same. And today we'll be breaking down Steven Spielberg's Saving Private Ryan. Dean, how are you, mate? Good, mate. How are you? What have I'm you been do- up to? I'm doing okay. I did have a story to tell, but I've completely forgotten it. I, I, it happened throughout the week. I'm Why like, would oh. you want to tell a forgettable story? If you can't remember it, what makes you think it's worthwhile for our listeners? I was going to jot it down. I'm like, oh, this is this would be fun oh, to this say. Will be, this will be good. And it just slipped my mind, and now I can't remember. Yeah, well, but I guarantee you, once the podcast finishes, 20 seconds after, I'll remember it. Well, I think, on behalf of all our listeners, <laughs> thank you for forgetting. It's my, my duty. Your gift to us. What about you? Any memorable stories this week? I mowed the lawn. That was pretty memorable. I wish you'd forgotten that. Such a rare occurrence that it is. <laughs> Especially in this weather at the moment. Yeah, it was actually raining halfway through and I was like, oh, fuck it, I'll just keep going. (laughs) (laughs) I've come this far. Yeah, you may as well. So be sure to stick around after the breakdown where we'll be answering questions submitted by you, the listeners, and we'll find out the result of last week's draft on Hugh Jackman Films. We'll also be unveiling a new portion of the podcast this week where Dean and I will be putting our differences aside to team up and battle against another one of your favourite podcasts in a variety of contests, so can't wait for that. And if that's not enough for you, we'll also be chatting about what else we've been watching this week including the newest 2018 sequel, Sicario 2, Day of the Soldado. So settle in for another episode of awesome content. So if by chance this is your first time listening to us, hopefully you've already subscribed to us by now. If you haven't, we'd hope that you do so. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and where most other podcasts are kept, including Stitcher, Podbean, TuneIn, Radio Public, iHeartRadio, as well as our host site, Wooshka. Wooshka. Just check the show notes for links to these great sites for all of our content. And to everyone out there, we really love hearing and seeing feedback from you, but also get out there and spread the word about us to everyone you know. Get them involved in the podcast too. If it helps, you could perhaps mention that this podcast can be serious when it wants to be. Another way to help get our name out there is to go ahead and leave a five-star rating and review on iTunes for us, which would hopefully help us move up the charts there for other like-minded listeners like yourselves to notice us too, so they can do the same, and we can get a nice revolving circle going on. So we've got another four reviews this week. Dean, what is your pick of the litter? Okay, I'm going to go with the one from Boogie Woogie 1989. The IMDb journey has quickly become one of my favourite movie podcasts because they actually managed to stay on topic the whole time all the while providing great trivia tidbits about the movie. I also love the last half of the show with the quizzes and the movie brackets. It helps set this show apart from the others in the genre. The hosts also have great chemistry and good banter. And ladies, they're Aussies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Definitely give them a listen if you're looking for a new movie podcast. Thanks to that, Sam, from the Real Horror Show podcast. Thank you very much for that, Sam. And thank you to the other three as well for your great reviews. And if you want to interact with us throughout the week too, we're on Twitter at IMDB Journey. I respond to everything sent our way and it is a great way to keep up to date with us as we regularly tweet what else we've been watching throughout the week. So you too can leave your thoughts there and we'll read them out on the podcast as well. We're also on Letterboxd, which is a great movie review site that everyone can get on there, share their own reviews on film, make their own lists and interact with people on there too. You can follow our podcast page at letterboxd.com slash imdbjourney and you can follow our personal pages too where we keep our movie diary constantly up to date, make our own lists and drop quick reviews as well. I am at letterbox.com slash hendo and Dean is at letterbox.com slash dino underscore j88. Well said. And if you're also into Facebook, we have a page there too, which we drop information about the podcast as well. And that's at facebook.com slash imdbjourney. And I'll add all these links in the show notes for the episode as well, so there's plenty of ways to interact with us and get involved. Okay, before we get started, just a quick spoiler warning, just letting everyone know we will be spoiling the movie from the jump, so if you have not seen it, 
Be warned, spoilers are coming. That's right. So we're going to take a short break, give you a promo from our great friends TJ and Serenity from the Movie with the Misses podcast, and we'll be back on the other side with Saving Private Ryan. Hey everybody, I'm TJ. I'm Serenity. And we are Movies, Movies with, with the, the Misses. Misses. We are a podcast about catching up on the classics we've missed, the new releases, dishing on movie news, and always making fun of ourselves. Well, more making fun of you. Hey, come on now. <laughs> you could say that we are... A podcast about movie fans becoming movie fans. You can find us on all the podcast apps, including Stitcher, Spreaker, Spotify, and most importantly, iTunes. Also, hit us up on Twitter... Where you can hashtag twit at me, yo. At MWTM Podcast. Remember, take your missus to the movies before she finds a new Mister. You're not going to find a new mister, are you? Well, don't test me is all I'm saying. So, Saving Private Ryan, released in 1998, starring Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore, Matt Damon, Ed Burns, and a whole bunch of other people, directed by Steven Spielberg. Dean, this film was nominated for 11 Oscars. And oh, won- I'm glad you did that research. I actually did not have a chance to, and I wanted to know how many Oscars it was nominated for. 11, my friend. Did and Hanks we- get nominated for actor? He did get nominated. didn't win, though. I think yeah. he lost to Roberto Benigni for Life is Beautiful that year. Of course, there was a lot of war films in the Best Picture race that year. They also had the Thin Red Line? Blue That's Line? Right. No, it's Red Line. Red Line. Yeah. yeah is the is thin- there a movie called The Thin Blue Line? Yeah, there is. Okay. I can see um, why I get confused then. Yeah. Um, yeah, The Thin Blue Line. Oh, my God. The Thin Red Line. Yes. <laughs> yes, Dean. <laughs> okay. Um, also nominated that year was Elizabeth and Shakespeare in Love. And, of course, infamously... Little old Harvey Weinstein worked his magic That's right. and got Shakespeare in love over the line for Best Picture. So you do know you that's only, a travesty. You do know you only seen three other films that were nominated for Best Picture then. Do you know what the fifth is? Life is Beautiful. Did you say that? Well, you said it for actor, so I was already on the on the roll for that. Ah, right, fair enough. Have uh, you seen Life is Beautiful? I have seen it. Yeah, it's on the list. Of course, the, yeah. of course it's on the list. Yeah, pretty high actually. I think it's like number thirty-five or something like that. I legitimately would not mind seeing that movie again. I've seen it once in high school. Well, luckily for you, we've got a good list for you to to go through here. The IMDb top two fifty list. So you oh, will eventually watch it. I, How did you not get that? I don't know. I was like, <laughs> we have a list. <laughs> Why have you not shared this list with me? <laughs> no, Saving Private Ryan did win five Oscars that year. Won Best Director for Steven Spielberg, won Best Cinematography, Best Sound, Best Editing, and Best Effects in the Sound Effects Editing category. Doesn't that sound a little weird when it wins Best Sound, Best Editing, and then Best Effects in the Sound Effects Editing? (laughs) It would be weird if it didn't win that last one. (laughs) So you've won the sound, you've won the editing, but unfortunately you missed out on the sound editing. (laughs) We're very sorry. (laughs) So, did you know that Edward Norton was offered the role yes. of Private Ryan? What the fuck? Uh, I he, say that because, of course, if he had taken it, he would not have been able to do American History X. I know. Which I'm a little bit fond of. So, yeah, that's... um. Thank God he did not do it. And I feel like, honestly, I don't know, maybe because you're just used to Damon in the role now, but I feel it would have been odd seeing him in that role. He doesn't have that good old boy charm that Damon yeah. does. Yeah. In fact, it, he has no charm. <laughs> 
But um, no, I'm, I'm obviously I'm very, very glad that Matt Damon got the role. And it's funny because Spielberg cast Matt Damon after seeing Courage Under Fire. Um, he was worried he was too skinny, et cetera, et cetera. But he came back after or oh, during Goodwill Hunting and actually showed him what his sort of standard weight was. But what's what's interesting is that Spielberg cast Damon knowing he was an unknown because he just wanted a traditional sort of American guy to be cast. Mm. But then Goodwill Hunting blew up. Goodwill Hunting just made overnight superstars of Damon and Affleck. And went, by the time this movie came out, Damon was very, very, very well known. Yeah. So, um, no, it was, it was quite amusing, I thought. Also, Mel Gibson and, and Harrison Ford were both considered for the role of Captain John Miller as well. And so, like what you said there, with, you can't see anyone but Damon in the role of Private Ryan. I can't see anyone else in, in the role of James Miller but Tom Hanks here. Who was it, Mel Gibson? And Harrison Ford. Nah, Harrison Ford doesn't have the softer side that uh, Hanks has. Mel Gibson, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, Hanks is just so perfect for this role. So I'm glad that went to him. Speaking of casting, um, did you know what we're doing? Billy Bob Thornton actually turned down the role of Sergeant Horvath due to his fear of water and did not want to film the Normandy beach scene because of it. Phobia of water. Yeah, interesting. What I'm assuming he why means. Why is it interesting? It's a real thing. Is it like phobia of like swimming in water, or is it? It does it include drinking as well. Drinking? What? No, I'm joking. <laughs> Don't what you believe? You, you genuinely sounded like you were serious there. Oh my god, <laughs> who is? I mean, I, I guess there's probably someone out there afraid of drinking water. I don't know. Could you survive by not drinking water? You probably could. There's water in a lot of things. While we're still on the topic of casting, of course. Um, let's just talk about Tom Sizemore just briefly. So, he obviously plays Sergeant Horvath in this film. You earlier said Horvath, and now you said Horvath. Well, which one is it? What does it matter? Pick one and stick with it. I will pick both of them and alternate each time for Horvath. I'm going to hold you to that. If you do not alternate at any point and you do two, two in a row, you're sticking with that one. Horvath? Horvath. Very good. You're still in line. Okay. So, anyway, he was... He plays Sergeant Horvath and... <laughs> now you're just going to make me self-conscious every time I talk about him. <laughs> now, the point I'm getting at is that he was actually oh, battling he was battling a massive drug addiction at the time and Spielberg obviously really really wanted him because he went to the lengths of having him drug tested every single day and said to Tom Sizemore that if he ever did fail a test, he would go back and reshoot every scene with him and he would be immediately fired. I am quite surprised though. The lengths of Spielberg went to get Tom Sizemore in this role. Because for me, he's, he's probably one of the weaker acting performances in here. Like, he's not, he's not a character that you can't see being played by anyone else. Like, I could see heaps of other people filling in those shoes. Really, he just is there as a little backup for him in the war scenes and then to just listen in that one cool church scene. All right, name someone else who you could see, easily see for that role. Richard Gere. What? You're on crack, mate. There's, there's, what, Mark Hamill. What are you scanning my posters Harrison for? Ford. Chris Evans. Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just don't think that... Um, I was just surprised that Spielberg, Spielberg went with that risk because, uh, I don't know, like Tom Sizemore what about is not a, the best actor going. What about a Vincent D'Onofrio? Of course, that's a good pick. Yeah, there you go. That's a legitimate pick. What are you, what are you trying to say? That I can't see Tom Holland playing the character that Tom's very versatile. I'll have you know. (laughs) So all the principal actors except for Matt Damon underwent several days of grueling army training, and they spared Damon so that the other actors would resent him and convey their feelings in the performances. 
Yeah, I did think that, I mean, it's hard to know whether that actually had the effect or whether these people, these actors are actually acting at the time. But I, I, you can you can tell pretty clearly throughout that they do resent um, Private Ryan. wasn't sure whether to say Private Ryan or Matt Damon then, but they resent the character. It does show. Was it because of this boot camp? Eh, probably not, but it wouldn't have hurt. Exactly. The whole movie was actually shot in 59 days, and the beach scene alone took 25 days of that. It's pretty impressive. That's, I mean, that sounds, to me, that sounds like a very quick shoot. It is. It is. And considering I read that Spielberg did not storyboard most of these scenes because he wanted it to feel more in the moment and more realistic about he would just get on the beach and sort of move the camera where he wants to look. Just went along with it. Like, maybe that's why it was so quick. Although you actually know that doesn't make any sense. No, you think it would be quicker if he knew what he was going to shoot each day. No, but you're saying you're also saying that that might be why it's so quick. But that scene you're talking about took nearly half the half the full schedule. That took 25 days to shoot. Mm. So maybe you are right in saying that the scenes that he had set up were so quick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Also, the Department of Veterans Affairs set up a special 800 number to help the hundreds of former soldiers who were traumatized after seeing the film. And we heard from. Paul at the Countdown Movie TV Reviews podcast last week when he requested this uh, about how he had the, the obvious soldier having PTSD in his, in his first screening, like getting dragged out of the film. Yeah, that would have been very traumatic. That would have definitely increased the um, the experience of seeing this movie yeah. if you had someone. Like, you'd probably be sitting there watching it and just being affected, but then when you see someone being affected that way, sort of adds credence to what you're saying. Yeah, of course. And Steven Spielberg requested that no one gain admittance to the movie once it had already begun. Which is just a stupid request. Like, him saying that really is not going to change. Yeah, he's cinema. not going around to every a single cinema. manager's, you know, <laughs> you know, I can tell you right now, if a customer <laughs> got angry walking in or wanted to go in three minutes later, yeah, they'd let you in. There's sorry, no sorry, so Mr. Sorry, Spielberg Mr. said Mr. Spielberg has said no. <laughs> well, get Mr. Spielberg on the phone then. <laughs> and with an estimated budget of $70 million, it got a worldwide gross of $482 million, making it the second highest ranking film for that year. Worldwide? Worldwide. It was number one domestically. Yeah, so it was number one in the US of A in 1998. That's right. What was was, number one worldwide? I was going to ask you that, because I know. (sighs) And you should know, because you answered this question on a quiz we had a long time ago. I had no idea. 98. I could not even tell you one other movie that came out in 98. Spoken like a person who should be reviewing movies for everyone to listen to. Spoken like a person who won your little quiz that we did all those years ago. Look back Wonder on if it. I got this one right. Uh, why don't we put it in now? 1998. Is it Armageddon, Godzilla, or Saving Private Ryan? Ooh, that's tough because obviously Saving Private Ryan has a very high restriction rating on age. Not sure what it is in the States, but it's MA here, so that does limit... What are the other ones? Um, Armageddon and Godzilla. I'll say Godzilla. Armageddon. (laughs) Oh my god, how did I say Godzilla? Out of those three, you picked Godzilla. Oh, that's rough. That's rough. Yeah, so Armageddon was the highest grossing film worldwide that year. And with an average of 8.6 over 1 million ratings, it is currently sitting at number 29 and now holds the ranking for highest movie we've done so far. Really? Yes. The previous one was City Lights, I believe, like 32-ish. Yeah, and it's not hard to see why uh, Saving Private Ryan is above City Lights. No, of course not. Because it's a great film. 
All right, Dean, it's time for a plot summary this week. We're on to you. As he bug eyes out. Wow, I actually don't have one. How did I actually get that? Very unorganized this week. Nah, not so, not so. I'll just do the old Hendo trick and read off IMDb. It's the way to do it. I mean, this is actually a great summary. Here we go. Following the Normandy landings, a group of US soldiers go behind enemy lines to retrieve a paratrooper whose brothers have been killed in action. Very good. Very good, my friend. All right, let's kick it off. Okay, so your favorite opening shot. It is the American flag blowing in the wind. Now, what I did notice immediately is that it is very pale. The colours have all seemingly been turned down. Now, this was actually done deliberately by Spielberg here. When it finally came time for TVs to start showing this film, um, they actually TV stations actually had audiences frequently complain that they thought there was something wrong with their TVs or the picture, to the point where on broadcast they put up a warning message saying the colours have been corrected to avoid constant complaints. Now, apparently they even put out warnings on the DVDs and Blu-rays, etc., that the colours are off a bit, and that's the way it was intended. Now, I did watch the Blu-ray of this, and I didn't see any warning, but... Yeah, I didn't see one either on my Blu-ray. The funny thing is, like, I did read a fair bit about this colour change that went on post-production. I actually didn't notice it after this. After this, obviously the flag is extremely pale, but I think for the majority of the film, the colours still did seem quite vibrant. I, th- I kind of noticed it. I didn't... It wasn't to the point where I was like, oh, they've deliberately done this. Yeah, if I hadn't have known about it, I would not have thought twice about it. Yeah. To hear people actually saying they complained about it is kind of weird to me. Yeah. I mean, what did you expect? Do you, do you want this vibrant, beautiful colours in this drab war movie? Yeah. I mean, it did win the Oscar for cinematography, so it does... It looks... Like, it's a beautifully looking film. Yeah, yeah, of course. And we have this very strong and emotional shot here of this obvious war veteran walking through all the crosses of all the men who fought and died in the war. And, you know, he just breaks down and and starts to remember. Now, when I first watched this, I thought this was Tom Hanks. I think... I, I, I think the same. Yeah. I was even a third, fourth time watching it, I still start by assuming it's Tom Hanks. And I think each time I watch it, I realise quicker and quicker that it's not. But I have no doubt in my mind that they have deliberately done this to make audiences think that it's Tom Hanks. Yeah, so we get this medium shot of the old man, his family around him comforting him, and the camera slowly zooms in on his face. And he hears the waves of the beach in the background getting louder and louder. Now, you would assume this is reflecting what's going on in his mind. I think that's why I always start off thinking the old man is Tom Hanks's character. I actually but- didn't I actually didn't pick up on that. That that like if it was if it's Private Ryan, he wasn't there, was he? He was somewhere exactly, else. Exactly, exactly. So it feels like when you watch this movie, it feels like you're watching what he's thinking, like this is his version of events. And it's not at all. It's obviously he's obviously imagining what would have what Captain Miller would have gone through yes. um, to get him to to get to him yeah. and all the troubles he's gone through. But just going back to the camera, the way it zooms into his the old man's eyes and then cuts straight to the Normandy scene, seeing Tom Hanks's eyes as he looks up. That's not how it works. It's not. It's not a straight cut to him. They they cut to the beach and the waves and they say no. Well, maybe that's what it is. So you're hearing the waves. And then it cuts to the the beach. And, yeah, you know, you're yeah. right. Sorry, you are right. Because you do get that title card of June 6, 1944, Omaha Beach. That's right. But I do think, obviously, with that, it's very... Um, yeah, Spielberg wants us to think this is Tom Hanks. 
Yeah, so we see the shot on the boat itself. We get the nervous, shaking hand of Tom Hanks's Captain Miller as he has a drink and his his eyes come up. And before we get right into it, this is clearly my... Excellent! I mean, I'll... So this this opening this scene... This entire 20 yeah, minutes... can you do that, though? Like, my favourite scene of the movie is a 20-minute scene. It's a scene. I just I feel it's Do you so want me to broad. get specific? Do you want me to take back that, that sound and then I'll bring it back in in like 10 minutes? Yeah. I want you to tell me your actual favourite part of this opening beach scene because that's... I, honestly, when I started watching this, I thought, yeah, this scene is so unbelievably great. Uh, it's my favourite scene. And then I'm thinking, well, I can't pick this whole battle. And I tried to think of a moment that really captured it and honestly, I couldn't. And that's... Honest, I'm not saying that's a detriment to the scene at all. It's just for me, I did not pick this battle because it's so long. Like, it's not like you can say, oh, well, my favourite scene is the uh, battle for the bridge at the end of the movie. No, you've got to pick pick a moment. All right, if you want me to uh, shrink it down, I will when we get to it. Very good. Sorry, I don't mean to quibble with you so early on. Yes, Normally you do. we take don't lie. You know, five, ten more minutes before we start getting you into it. You take great joy in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, just back on the boat. I do love that. Just, like, there's so many... When I was watching this, there's so many tiny little things that are everywhere that just add to the authenticity of this. And just go on pulling back through the boat, very reminiscent of Paths of Glory, I might add. Mm-hmm. Pulling back through the boat and you're seeing the, the guys on both sides and they're throwing up. You know, yeah. like straight away we know this is not going to be... I mean, I don't think these movies are made nearly as much anymore, but this glorification of war, these are these are men and young young men going into war and they are terrified. They're throwing up at the thought of what's to they come. Know, they probably know what's going to happen here. They they don't expect to come out of this, I don't think. But yeah, you see them praying to God. You see Jackson kissing his cross for the first time here. Yep. And you get those doors open up and it's just oh. insane. Yeah. See? Yeah. This would probably be my favourite bit of this, of this battle because I love how... It starts off and you see sort of a really wide shot and you can see where all the boats are in relation to the shore. But then it stops that. It goes inside the boat and all of a sudden it's like the boat has these giant walls up and you cannot see out of it, yeah. which is what these guys would be seeing. And then you just see that big like safe almost um, handle, that big circle, circular handle. And when it finally opens up, my God, the sound. The sound of these bullets just tearing them apart and the whole first, what, five, six rows yep. just drop. You can tell why this movie won for best sound effects and yeah. editing and all that because yeah. it sounds amazing. Yeah, it is one of the best sounding movies I've seen. And they deliberately did not add any score into these parts of the films just so those sounds were amplified even more. Oh, okay. Yeah, and it is, it's it's fantastic. I mean, this whole thing is just so incredibly raw and violent and you you're right in the middle of it all it's i uh, i yeah yeah it's that it's it's, it's, it's this <sighs> yeah like what do you what do you say about it like I mean, it's it, everyone starts jumping over there they know they're like get, they can't we, go forward can't go forward no. over into the water and yeah. the camera work like we what we've spoken about go, it goes over the side too like it like the cameraman is a yes, person yes yes yeah. it's like you've got this point of v shot where you're in the water now and you're looking around and like, you sort of think, all right, they're safe in the water. Then they're getting shot and killed in the water. Yeah, bullets coming right, fl- ripping And then through. the camera bobs up, sees what's... And then it goes back down. You see someone drown because they can't yeah, get their Yeah, they can't their get their gear off. off. Like, everything... They obviously carry so, so much weight. It's so haunting. 
And yeah, like you said, the camera going up out of the water and back down again. That sound that from the transition of coming up to hearing yeah, the bullets yeah, and the screaming the to the and then yeah, yep, 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 unreal. Yeah, and you also in the middle of this, you get the enemy's point of view shot as well, and it's just just like shooting fish in a barrel. Yeah, like it's just non-stop. Yeah, they just seemingly at this point have nothing, no attacking on them, and they're just casual. Well, casually is not the right word, but they're just easily picking off these people. It's it's just crazy that. That they won this battle, honestly. Yeah. Like, the odds they were up against are just daunting. Like, there's nothing stylized about this scene at all. No. Like, like I said, no score, there's no quippy dialogue or one-liners. It's just a bunch of scared men trying to make it up this beach with endless bullets flying at them, explosions going off. Yeah, you've got yeah. guys, like, getting their limbs blown off. It, it, there's so many explosions, it looks like it's raining half the time. Yeah. Exactly. And so much shaky cam. Like, you feel like you are right in there. Yeah. 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 But with these guys getting their limbs blown off, Spielberg actually hired a lot of real-life amputees to just make the the practical effects easier. And it's great. Like, the shot shot of the guy looking with no arm, looking around for his arm, and then he finds it, he picks it up, and he walks off it like that. Like, that stuff would have been going on. Did you know that cinemas were actually instructed to up the volume when they showed this film so the sound effects would play an even bigger role? Mm-hmm. I mean, it obviously works. Yeah, so we get Hanks coming out of the water now and we get the slow-mo kick in, the yeah, sound gets The muffled turned, sound. Yeah, right down, bullets are all muffled. He looks around and he sees this young man, he's terrified, hiding behind one of these structures on the beach, crying. Probably would have been straight out of school as well, straight into it. That's the thing, like, it's not like the way the film depicts all this, it's not judging or casting it in a negative light. It's just, I will show you what happened on the beach, and you take your own impressions and thoughts away from it. I love the the lack of judgment here, and it's it's right throughout this movie, this this very... um, it's so open-minded throughout the whole film, and we see it time and time again. Very, I won't say cool, but there's a great shot of a man with a flamethrower who just gets engulfed in flames, and guys around him are just instantly on fire, yeah, running around. And this is all still in the, in the, you know, that that slow mo still of what Hanks is. Seeing. You also get that explosion during this, and. Yeah. It just it rains down on him, but it's just red. It yeah. just rains red on him. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. the whole area is just blood now. Yeah. He sees his helmet next to him, full of bloody seawater, and he puts it on. Like, it doesn't even stop to tip it out. He puts it on. The red drips down his face. It's just... It's gripping. I was actually curious about the big the big metal crosses that they had on the beach and where they were from. And I looked it up, and it, they're actually called Czech hedgehogs and what they were designed for was to basically rip open these these tank boats that would come in but they were only designed for when the tide was high yeah but at this time of the actual battle the tide was low so they never got a chance to like go over these these big crosses they were actually designed to have mines buried in the top of the cross as well so that they could explode on underneath the boats yeah because at this point the tide was low they never got to them yeah which worked well for them as you know Hiding areas. Yeah, I think strategically the enemy thought they would want to reduce the distance of sand that the infantry need to run across. Yeah. 
So they would assume that, right, they're going to wait till it's high tide, come then, so they have a much shorter distance to go through. And they would have got wiped out. Those boats would have just oh, exploded yeah. like it was. You see how easy it was when they opened the door and just took out half of them in one go. If they was contained to a single area on a boat, much easier than them starting to scatter out on the beach. Yeah. So he is prompted back into uh, real time by a man asking, what do we do now, sir? And from this, and we see him instructing men, we do get our first feel for this character and what he's going to be about. He's very clear. He's very clear in what he wants. He wants us to keep moving forward. One of the men says he doesn't want to go. He's scared, you know? And Hanks is just like, I've got to stop saying Hanks. Miller. Miller. And Miller is just, he assures him, if you stay here, you are dead. Yep. You must go forward. And he does, which is great. It shows great leadership, honestly. And that shot of the kid... Like on the ground, holding his organs mm. as he's just yelling, "Mum, mum!" Like that. There's a lot of screaming for. Yeah, mums it in stuck this. with me. Like it's one of those shots that like burned into my brain when I was. I, I first time I saw this, I was 12, and I saw that, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Just it got to me. Yeah, yeah. it really annoys me that I was not old enough to see this movie when it came out. Neither was I. Like, but I. It annoys me I didn't get a chance to see it at the cinema. Yeah, I and saw, I, I saw I, it in, like, uh, in uh, 2000 when it came out on VHS or yeah. 1999, something like that. Yeah, and I, I would have seen it, I think, after that. Yeah, definitely after that, probably 2001, 2002. And I don't think I appreciated it for what it was when I saw it. No. I definitely like this movie more and more as I get older and appreciate it more and more. Absolutely. But I actually remember very, very vividly um, someone coming to the house, a friend coming to the house and speaking to me saying he thinks all people should be forced to watch this movie just to remind them yeah. of what happens when you start wars. How And how appreciative you should be yeah. of these people who sacrifice themselves for you to have this life. Yeah, exactly. Which is a big theme of this film. Mm. Yeah. Like a massive theme. Yeah, I mean, yeah. arguably it's... I think it the is the theme. theme. Yeah, yeah, it is the theme, you know. Uh, we'll get to that later. Yeah, but, of course. So we see Miller here screaming for a medic. Honestly, I was sort of like, really? Well, the thing is, uh, I read up that both sides actually had a truce here that the medics on both sides were not to be fired upon. In like, As well as that, the medics were not allowed to carry weapons. So... It was worth it to call medics to get people to be healed or fixed because they the medics were never going to be fired on. And you can tell that coming up when they try to um, heal that, I don't know who it was, only for him to get shot in the head. And they're like yelling at them going, you son of a bitch, like yelling directly at them in, in broad, like right in the area of the beach. And then they never get fired upon because it was a truce on both sides. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's why yelling for a medic to help fix them was plausible. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was more... I don't think that medics would be struggling to find people to help. May- yeah, okay, fair enough. Do you know what I mean? Like, Miller taking the time to look around while he's exposed for a medic, I just thought, like, honestly, it's the right thing to do. It's brave and all that. But, I don't know, I just felt like, geez. Well, that's why he's the leader. He's still taking care of his men. This might have been someone who he looked at and gone, this is someone we can save still. But, like, he goes to the effort of he grabs this man, mm. this wet, soaking, fully grown man, and drags him through sand. Like, can you imagine how hard this would be? And then he looks back and he's... After he's, this explosion that, that, again, gives him the yeah. you know, the, the weird sound and that. And he's, he's lost the bottom half. He's, he's dead. Yeah, he's dragging it. this dead man through. I mean, it is it is an important scene because it does show in no uncertain terms that Miller is, is a hero. Yeah, but it's also showing just how quick 
it is that you you're you know this person you're talking to them and then you turn around and they're dead and but you got to keep moving like mm. push past it and move on mm. and you can see his faces is like oh no go go keep going like having to do that like so many times throughout this war and survive it like you can understand the like the PTSD that happens after this mm. I mean it would be excruciating mm. actually while we're still talking about this this Omaha beach scene did cost about eleven million dollars to shoot. That's mm. that's pretty pretty crazy, pretty big. What was the budget for the film again? Uh, Seventy million. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. They also used about forty barrels of fake blood in this scene as well, which is massive, and it obviously shows when you're watching it because the whole place is just red. There's a bit that sticks out to me when, and I don't think I ever noticed it before, that Miller actually stands out in the open for a second to draw far away from uh, his sniper Jackson. And Horvath says, Captain, if your mother saw you do that, she'd be very upset. Miller responds with, I thought you were my mother. And this little joke here, like, we're in the midst of hell here. It really humanizes these people. Like, these aren't mindless killing machines. These are real men with real personalities and families. And it really, it serves well. It's a tiny little second scene, but it reminds us of the stakes of what they're fighting for here. I just felt like it was really important. So you mentioned like the lightheartedness and okay, lighthearted. Like there's a scene where the guy gets shot in the head with the helmet and he takes it off and he's like, "Oh, you lucky bastard!" And then bang, he gets yeah. shot after that. Yeah. I mean, is is that like is that played for comedic? Like, yeah. I honestly, I do think. I mean, it's not comedic's not the right. It's like even what you said before with the the guy searching around looking for his arm. Like he's so just oh, like he's not even caring about anything. He like, hey, here's my arm and walks off. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, is it, I don't, I don't think that it was played for laughs. Because I'm telling I you, can, I, I didn't laugh, and I'm like, was that was that supposed to be funny? I mean, the guy looking for his arm, I don't think I ever thought was lighthearted. But I do think the he gets shot in the head, takes it off. Oh my lucky helmet! And then gets shot in the head and dies. Hmm. I mean, that is that has an element of comedy to it. I like the the quick wit use of the the mirror with the knife and the chewy as well, to get a bit more of a, of a shot around the corner yeah, of what was going practical. on. Yeah. There's actually a surprising amount of chewing gum in this film. Well, what else are you going to do? Chew some gum. Yeah, but it's... See the smoking or chewing gum? They take it out of each other's mouths. And well, why not? I mean, I, no, I'm not saying... <laughs> I'm not having a go at them. You're telling me you wouldn't take chewy out of my mouth? I'm just It's surprising that it, so much of it appeared on the Because I have a bit film. right here. Shut up. <laughs> um, okay, so we get this scene here, which is very, very interesting... Two soldiers, two American soldiers come up. They're not part of our named um, main crew, but they come out and a couple of supposed Germans come out, hands up, speaking a foreign language. And the guys, now, this is definitely played for lightheartedness. Of course, yeah. The guys are saying, like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Bang, shoots them. Right? And then they joke about, oh, what do you think they were saying? And one answers, look, I wash for supper. And they laugh about it. Like, yeah. it's all played very funny. Yeah. But I actually, in my research, I came across that if you actually translate what these people are saying, they're not actually speaking German. They're speaking Czech, aren't they? Yeah, they're speaking Czech. They're not even German. So they're actually Czech soldiers that were forced by the Germans to join the German army. Now, they could have even been prisoners of war, like in concentration camps that the Germans have pulled out to fight for them. And what they're actually saying is, don't shoot me, don't shoot me, I'm not German, I'm Czech. And I just felt that the fact that Spielberg went to the absolute detail to put something like this in, not just put it in, but do it without subtitling yeah. it. 
Like, I mean, how how humble is that filmmaking? You're damn right. You know, he's not doing this for any, you know, like someone to see it in the moment and go, oh, gee, that's a great, clever bit. You know, like that's this is stuff that you have to research after and then you find out and you go, wow, like that's that's impressive. The attention to detail, like it's not hard to see why Spielberg won Best Directing yeah, Oscar awesome. for this. This is masterful direction here. I mean, what more is there to say about this, this whole scene? I mean, it's incredibly epic and haunting and realistic. We, we see the entire tactics and plans as they make their way to seize control of this beach, like from the, from the water all the way up to the top here. And we see the gradual carnage that's been torn up along the way and the emotional impact it has once it's all over when they realize that they've just survived this almost impossible yeah, feat. Yep. And when you see Capazzo give that uh, Hitler youth knife to Mellish, and he cracks that joke about now it's a... He says it's something that's like... It's a Jewish term. He says it's a, it's a, it's a Jewish knife for, for cutting cheese or, some, or something oh, like okay, that. Oh, okay, yep. And he has a little laugh about that, but then he just breaks down in tears. Yeah. Like, seeing that and Miller looking over the devastation of the lifeless his bodies... His still shaking. His hands still shaking. You see the bodies washing up on the shore. It's just a crimson red flow now. And I think... If you want me to single out a certain point of this scene, that would be it. Yep. It would be right here when yep. they they all survive. They can take a breath, but they're like they've they've broken down. They're devastated about the whole thing, and just the aftermath of this would be my excellent. Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. I, I do. I really like the line. Um, I don't remember who, but someone says to Miller, "That's quite a view." Yes, it is. And you say this is your favourite scene, which is great because I feel there's actually more importance to this scene because what we get is, I think this is what I was thinking about earlier, we actually get the slow motion again and we get that close-up of his eyes and the waves going in the background. Yeah. Right, which is exactly what the old man at the start was doing, which at this point I actually wrote in my notes, okay, I wasn't sure, now I'm convinced. We're meant to believe the old man is Miller. Yeah, and like I said, this is an absolutely brilliant scene perfectly crafted by Spielberg that's not only technically brilliant yeah. but emotionally too yeah. which is why I could easily put this in my favourite scenes of all time yep not my technical my favourite yeah yeah good callback thank you uh, seriously what episode was that Ben-Hur with the chariot race ah oh, okay and I, I feel it finishes perfectly as well because we do get that as you say we get this shot of the red water and all that but the camera zooms in onto one soldier eventually and his backpack, Ryan. You know, it's like, yeah. wait on, it's called Saving Private Ryan. Ryan's dead. What's going on? You know, and it it, it brings us back into, you know, the plot of the movie. Yeah, we, we, we are basically introduced to the, the, the plot of the yeah. story here. Yeah. yeah. So we get back to America here and we see all these typewriters going and th- these are all the letters that are going out to all the families of all the dead soldiers. And, like, you could just... And they're, they're read in men's voices. Sorry, you can go. No, go ahead, Dean. You sound like you have something to say. Well, I was just as I was. So anyway, watching- you could imagine all these. <laughs> <months>. <laughs> yeah, fuck. No, as I was watching it, when these these women writing, these women typists are typing out these letters, I was, and they're being read, voiced over by men, army men. I was wondering if, because there are so many deaths, are these women writing the letters themselves and signing it off as these men? And the voice that we're hearing is how the recipients of these letters would hear them. Or have high-ranking officer men 
written letters for each and every one of these people. No, I think these are bulk messages. That the same message that what he's saying is on every single piece of those papers. No, because we hear a lot of different takes. Do we? Yeah. There's a lot of different um, things said. Anyway, moving on. What did you have to say? Oh, actually, no. You see how along the way here with the letter from Capazzo, and you see that letter get transferred from person to person along the way here. Yep. Yeah. That letter would actually not get to his dad. They would take that and they would print off, they, they would type up a actual official thing to send to him. So when he's saying, I know we're skipping ahead a little bit here, but when he's saying like, it's got blood on it, like I need to rewrite it. No, he wouldn't have even got that anyway. Because look, going through my research, yep. they would retype that as a like a film kind of like a micro film. It was something really? back, yeah back then yeah. So Gee, I mean, if that was me, I would rather have the handwritten proper version. No, I'm um, I'm not sure. That's that's what I. I mean, I honestly understand if it's covered in blood, you can't send that off. But if you've got a sealed. Nicely maintained letter, but I guess that would be so rare. Yeah. You'd have an actual nice letter. So you can imagine all these mothers at that time just dreading seeing that car coming along. Like, they know mm. that what they're there for, and it would be absolutely heart-wrenching. You never would want to see that coming up. No, you wouldn't. And now we get introduced to arguably my biggest, holy shit, this guy's in this film. Would you were thinking that a lot throughout the film? Because I was. There was another one. Actually, there was a, yeah, there was a few. <laughs> Are you thinking of Brian Cranston? Oh, yeah. Really? I knew he was in this. I had no recollection that Brian Cranston was in this film. You know why? Because like, when I saw it, when I saw it the him? first time, I'm like, hey, that's the guy from Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> and I just remembered that. Yeah. Missing an arm as well. Yeah. Interesting touch. I felt like you could sort of see it tucked in his jacket, though. <laughs> you know, like... Well, where else is he going to tuck it? What was the point? Maybe he's playing a real-life person who had an arm taken off. He's not. He's never given a name. He's credited as, like, random... Officer or something. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So Cranston goes to see the U.S. Army Chief of Staff about he's found or he's been given all these the three letters of the Ryan brothers who have all died, and they got they were about to send off three letters, separate letters to this these brothers' mother. Anyway, so Cranston is obviously for a rescue mission here, and the other unnamed guy is against it, saying whoever we send to save the fourth Ryan brother will be killed in action as well. The boss then walks over to his desk and takes his letter out, which he proceeds to read to the men. Now, it's a letter to a woman who has lost five sons in the war. And what I absolutely loved about this scene is that halfway through, he stops actually looking at the paper and reading it off the paper and keeps reciting it anyway as he's looking up, speaking to these men. Now, this has had such an enormous emotional impact on him that he has reread it numerous times to the point where he has it memorized. It's clear which direction this man is going to go with now. The letter is from Lincoln, which I didn't understand the significance of that. But they do eventually decide it is worth sending out a team to go and rescue the fourth son. And this is obviously... The big question throughout this whole film, yeah. like... Is it worth it? Is is it worth eight men to rescue one? Yeah. And if it's not, then how many is worth? Is it one for one? Like, And this obviously gets discussed along the way throughout this film many times mm. at many different points. By many different people, which we shall discuss along the way. So Miller hears about the mission that he needs to do. He doesn't seem overly happy about it, but he just gets on with business. It's here we get our intro to Corporal Upham. Yeah, we can clearly see how nervous this guy is. I mean, he's never been out of the field. He mm. wants to take his typewriter 
yeah. then Miller just flashes him a pencil. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. I love that. Can I, can I take this? doesn't even need words. No. Just, you're an idiot. Yeah. You're not bringing a fucking typewriter through <laughs> enemy lines for no reason. But it, it keeps dropping everything. He picks up wrong helmets and it just it sets him up straight away as clumsy and really out of place from the get-go. But you you can this is like our entry into the the group itself like we can kind of relate to this person someone yeah. who who isn't used to this who hasn't had any of this mm. before is nervous is scared is this is a great character yeah. the audience is oh, yeah. is the audience is this character he honestly in a way reminds me of William Miller from Almost Famous as the guy who comes along and is trying to record the journey mm. yeah exactly right i can see that i can see that um parallel because it's great what you said about he's going in and meeting this group because so are we. Yeah. We have like we've seen these characters, some of them in and out throughout the the first battle, but we haven't met this group as a unit. Now Upham comes in and he's he doesn't know the rules, and straight away we see him walking and he pats Malish on the back, and Malish just goes off. Yeah, like I love this insult. Malish is played by uh, Evan Goldberg, isn't he? Oh, that's a deep cut. It's a very deep cut. It's Adam Goldberg. That's right. It is. You idiot. <laughs> did you did you like the his um criticisms here? Huh? When up and pats him on the back. Oh, I can't remember what he said. It's like, hey, you want your head blown off? You fancy little fuck! Don't you ever touch me again with those little rat claws? Well, Jesus Christ! Calm like, down, mate. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> We're on the same Get team. Get fuck back in formation. <laughs> but that's you know that that little thing, like just a little pat on the back. It's like. That's something that someone who's not versed in, you know, actual practical day-to-day warfare might do. Yeah. You know, like, he's trying to be frenzy here. He goes from person to person. Next, he goes to Capazzo, and <laughs> the first thing he says to him is, drop dead, Corporal. Like, they don't want a bar of him. He's not one of them. Yeah, exactly. And he tells him off for saluting the captain, which is, you know, makes perfect sense. Yeah, they don't want to identify who the captain is because he'll be targeted. Yeah. It's probably a good point to talk about Vin Diesel here. Yeah, because I'm not going to be talking about him for long. Or as my notes say, Vince Diesel's. <laughs> Vince Diesel's? <laughs> um, so, yeah, this casting was a little peculiar. It's his his second main role after the movie Strays. Have you seen Strays? No, I'd never I, heard of it. I heard of it. I've, I remember... Actually, I think uh, Kira had watched it once, and I might have uh, seen bits and pieces of it as I was, like, walking around doing non-movie stuff that day. Absolutely. But I know, I know that, that this was his directional debut and he'd made this film. So. Yeah, he directed, produced, wrote, starred in, and Spielberg was so impressed with him that he actually... Vin Diesel got paid $100,000 for this role. Now, he's not in the movie a lot. No. And he's honestly a no-one in Hollywood at this point. And this made him a somebody. This definitely made him yeah. a someone. This made a lot of people somebodies. Who? Adam Goldberg. Eddie. Nice friends call back. Yes, yes, yes. He's <laughs> uh, in everything. <laughs> I mean, geez. Paul Edward, Giamatti. Edward Burns. Yeah, Eddie Burns. Was Giovanni Ribisi. When were, yeah. When did Gone in 60 Seconds come out? Oh, way after this. Oh, oh, really? Not way, like 2000. Oh, that's way after. It is. Two years later. Two years. Nah, but what about um, Nathan Fillion? Was in it for a little bit? Yeah. I mean, there's there there's, are so many people you, you just spot. You're Even like, um, people have credited this movie... For reigniting Ted Danson's career. Oh, yeah, of course. Ted Danson. He hasn't been around since Cheers. Who was enormous as a comedic actor in Cheers, just went off the map. And after people saw his dramatic chops in here, he's been working consistently ever since. Did you ever watch Becker? No. No, I didn't either. Did it you was ever on, watch it was on Cheers? all the time. 
No, I didn't either. I actually went back and started Cheers one day when I had literally nothing to watch. They're long seasons. I think they're 20-something episode seasons. I think I got through most of season one and got bored and stopped. Okay, fair Like, I'm sure... And the problem is, I'm sure, A, back in the 80s, it was more timely, and B, it's not a show designed to be binged. Okay. Like, it's not a show, hey, I'm going to spend eight hours watching episode after episode of Cheers. Is it really just, like, repeated jokes all the time? I didn't notice that. The problem with it is it's almost entirely set in the bar, and... It just, it looks the same every episode. You know what I mean? Like, it's, there's no variation to set, really. I mean, they go into some rooms every now and then, but yeah, it's very just monotonous. Anyway, yeah, let's bring it back. The- <laughs> let's bring it back. Anyway, so after Upham gets, you know, fobbed off by Capazzo, he goes to Wade, the medic, who's much nicer, and he talks about the bond of brotherhood formed between soldiers. Um, just quickly, Hanks and Spielberg would go on to make the TV show Band of Brothers. Yes, of course. Have you seen it? I saw the first episode. I've never seen it. Everyone has only ever said great things about it. Yeah, I've it's, never seen it. Yeah, I've heard amazing things too. I watched the first episode when I think maybe it came out. I don't mm, remember it. Mm. That's all I've got to say about that. That's all right. Anyway, they they tell him to ask about the captain, and this is where we get our first... Is this is the foobar? Yeah, we get our first foobar, but this is where we first get the mention of who is the captain. No one knows who he is on the outside. Yeah. You know what I mean? And this is a thing that flows through for half the movie, I guess. Yeah, especially Miller. He keeps his private life private so he can remain just the captain and not a friend. Yeah. Or, a, you know, a comrade or comrade. Com- comrade. Comrade? Comrade? Yeah. Do you want to say comrade? <laughs> a comrade. Yes, comrade. Yeah. We sort of get Miller's first take here on is it worth it? Is it worth risking the men, eight men, to save one? And Rabin, who's the most vocal of the group uh, yeah. who complains about it a lot coincidentally will be one of two of the group to actually survive at the end he does complain about it a lot saying it's not right says we've all got mothers except the captain etc etc and miller's great here he tells them all about the chain of command we do it because they are our orders end of story but he does it in a way that is really actually positive and humorous he is these men's leader, and it's very plain to see that these soldiers both love and respect Miller. Like, he is a fantastic leader. To deal with, there's so many situations that arise, and he just handles them so perfectly. And considering that it's not like he's, you know, he is not a, a professional military man growing no. up in his life. He's a fucking school teacher. I guess, obviously, that would help with, you know, leading young men, but his ability here to lead these men is very, very impressive. He also keeps his emotions in check around his crew, and only when he's by himself yeah. does he unleash yeah. in his emotions, as we see later on as well. Yeah. I like the little shot up a little further here, where they're, they're into this destroyed town and it's pouring rain, and you see Capazzo hiding behind what looks to be a, a, a wagon or something like that, mm. fishing through apples to see which ones taste good in that. While there's gunshots going off and everyone else is shooting, he kind of looks like, he kind of feels like this isn't that big of a deal. Like, he doesn't need to be involved in this. So he's going to go start eating some apples, whatever, yeah. I'll go through this. And once he sees the soldier get shot, then he realizes, holy shit, mm. and he throws it away, gets his, gets his gun up and goes running back down there. Yep. And that kind of shows, like, yeah, they're going to get, they're going to get shot at all the time. It's not, you can't, can't let it get to you. It can't yeah. be, holy shit, this is a massive deal every single time. You can't time. be on edge every you, single yeah, time. you'll never get through it. Yeah, exactly. Like, you do have to be able to, you know, compartmentalize some things and switch off. Yeah. 
And just that simple little shot of him eating an apple. That's all it needed, mm. which is why I really liked it. Good. But it is a shame to see what happens to him. He's they're trying to help out this family, and he, he grabs this family's daughter to try and take her to a safer place. Says he she reminds him of his niece. Mm. And that's why he did it, even though he's getting yelled at by everyone. What is he doing? Yeah, especially Miller. Like, yeah. this is his captain. And from we we haven't seen him to be a, a rule breaker, yeah. and you know Miller is saying you put her, you give her back. That's an order. Yeah. And Capazzo just says, "No, nah, the decent thing to do is to take her to the next town." And I love Miller's response here. We're not here to do the decent thing. We're here to follow fucking orders. Which I love because it shows that he is our hero, but he's not some macho all American sort of hero. You know, it's really refreshing to see he's not someone who would say, oh, screw the orders. We must do the hero thing and save this little girl. He's yeah. not that person. No. He's saying, no, we follow our orders. It's It was good. And, of course, you know, Capazzo gets shot for his troubles. Yep, sniping right in the lung. Yep. And this is a... Uh, I really like this scene, too, this whole just trying to figure out how they're going to mm. tackle this situation, find mm. the sniper, get yep. Jackson in the right spot to get the shot off. All while it's pouring down of rain, Capazzo's bleeding out. It's fantastic. Holding this letter to his dad, it's bleeding really all over because you can see Capazzo on the ground. He's like trying to talk to people and you get the the point of view from the enemy sniper and he sort of looks over at Capazzo and he's talking to someone and he follows the line of sight and you're like, "Oh, shit, is he going to see Miller out in the open? Like what's he going to see here?" But what I really like is they're telling Capazzo to be quiet, stop moving and mm. that because just before when that other soldier got hit you see them start unloading bullets into his body, and Capazzo's like, why are they doing that? He's gone. Mm. And Miller says, Yeah, but why do they keep shooting him up like that? As long as his lungs have breath in him, he still carries the message. We do the same thing. No, we wouldn't! So for them to relay that back at this scene, they stop moving because they will take you. They'll take another shot at you again mm. while he's trying to yell at them. Get this to get this letter to my father. Yeah, it creates even more tension because you're like, when, is this shot going to go off on him again? Yeah. And then of course, you know, you see the point of view of the site moving along, and I remember when the first time I watched it, I didn't even see Jackson when it happened. Just, oh, really? just until that little flash happened. I'm like, oh, oh, he's, oh, like it was, yeah, yeah. It took me a little bit, and that shot that goes straight through the glass yeah. scope. That's it's, it looks unreal. Yeah. Do you know how they do that? Yeah. So what they did was they actually, when he raised the the scope to his eye, the gore patch would stick to his eye, and at that same time, they would time it so that the the glass at the end of his scope would explode so that when he drops the gun, you've got the gore patch left on his eye. Yeah. It's fantastic practical effects. Obviously, no CGI or nothing like that. It's honestly very, very clever. It is. I love the great touch you get at the end of this when they give the daughter back to her father and she starts angrily slapping him. Yeah. Like, why would you Why would you leave me? Why would yeah. you send me away? Yeah. And he's, he's so apologetic for ever trying to do it both of them sobbing. Like, they're in this horrible situation, but they want to remain together yep. through it all. Yeah. So, this is a point we get to where we've got the wrong Ryan. They think they've found our private Ryan, and it turns out he's not. What did you make of this scene? I mean, I thought it was, well, from the first time I watched it, when I didn't, I wasn't too sure, or now, when I... Now. You know, I thought it was fine. Like, I think it's really good acting from Nathan Fillion. Yeah. I thought he was really good. Yeah. It's played really well for somebody who hasn't seen it before. Yeah. That um, it would make sense. My favourite bit was when they're walking through 
when Ryan's finally been called, he starts walking down and you see Raven just looking at him so resentfully. Told you he was an asshole. Like, these guys are risking their lives and they've just lost the life of one of their brothers for this guy. And just before this, I've actually had another conversation about basically fuck Ryan. Mm. Like, why are we losing men for this yep. one one yep. random guy? Exactly. And like we said, how many men's lives do you have to sacrifice to save one? Like, everyone's life is equal in this war. So I can understand why they would think this. Like, these people are their brothers, and they sacrifice themselves for this random person who they don't even know. Yeah. We get this great little scene just on that sort of going on from that note where Miller is talking to Ted Danson here. Sorry, I don't know Ted Danson's name. But <laughs> Miller's talking to Ted Danson, and he's sort of... Because they're, they're more equals, right? They're not... Ted Danson's not one of his subordinates, so they're on the same playing field, and they're talking about how they're all out here to save this one guy, and Danson actually says he understands what they're doing, and Miller scoffs and says, you do? Like, it's sort of like our real first sign that despite what Miller has said about we follow orders, we do the right thing, he does not agree with these orders, right? He scoffs at this, and, you know, Danson says, I've got brothers myself. Bring him home. And it's great because Miller is forced to think about his own doubts and the validity of the mission here. That's good. Provides some doubt in his mind, you know? Yeah, this is where it starts because later on he does finally succumb to, we're going to save you. Yeah. We're going to stay here and, sa- and save you. Yeah. Yeah. So we get this church scene and I would say this is probably my least favorite scene in the movie. It's definitely the quietest. And I get that you can't just have, you know, explosions and bombs nonstop. But for me, I think I think what really this scene really stands out for me is I think the first time I ever watched this, I was at my mate Sam's place and it would have been really late and I fell asleep in this scene. And I woke up in the morning like, fucking hell, <laughs> miss this movie. Like, I've really got to watch it. But we do get this scene. We see Miller's hand shaking again. Um, Horvath. He notices now. Yeah, he notices it and Miller's sort of a bit self-conscious about it and says, oh, it comes and goes. But they actually start laughing about this soldier they met. Um, something about him walking around on his hands and doing all this silly stuff. And it's, it is good to see laughter between them. But then, that's juxtaposed with Medic Wade looking on very, very disapprovingly. Yeah. And you sort of, you know, when I first saw him, like, and I don't mean first viewing, I mean even this viewing, I'm like, what's his problem? He does it again later as well. No, the but tags. then the camera pans down and you see he's actually rewriting this blood-soaked letter from Capazzo. Yeah. It's like, oh, jeez, yeah, that's, you know, that's depressing. Because he's the medic. He's not a killer. Yeah. It does, yeah. Miller and Horvath's discussion does turn very dour, though, when Miller said he's lost 94 men. And the fact that he knows the number so well, you... It shows how much he cares about each and every one of them. And he rationalizes it by saying, you've got to rationalize it. Of course, you have to. You have to justify it For every man that I've lost, you know, how many have I saved? Like, have I saved the life of two for each man or three or ten or even a hundred men? Like, Miller is telling himself what he needs to hear so he can get through this hell he lives in. Even if he doesn't necessarily believe it himself. Yeah. Just to just to rationalise and to say it, that that's what he needs right now. Yeah. Will I lie to myself to make myself happy? Yes, I will. <sighs> Love it. And they do they do start talking about Ryan again here, um, saying you know the mission is the man. And Miller says he'd better go on to cure disease or invent a long lasting light bulb. Like again, <laughs> like 
saying that, it's, it is lighthearted. Yeah. You know, I feel like Spielberg understands the gravity of the film he's making here and there is a concerted effort to put in these small moments. Like, there's no big funny scenes, but these small moments that do, you know, provide some levity and to show that these... As I said before, these are people, like, they're not just going to be depressed nonstop. They they're, need to do this to keep tr- themselves yeah, from going into insanity. Trying, yeah, they're trying to do what they can They to need have to a see laugh. the lightheartedness of this, too. Yeah, exactly. So, this whole scene is really about getting in a bit more character development for some of these soldiers here. Like, Wade yep. speaks about his mum. Yeah, he's remembering his childhood and his regrets. Like, in these times where life is so fleeting, he's thinking about, you know, what what he would give now to go back in time and have another conversation with his mum, whom he's actively avoided some conversations with in the past. And I imagine that's what it would be like when you're essentially like staring death in the face, really. Like you would start thinking about that stuff. Like what did I, what could I have done better, better with my life? What if, what if? Yeah. And these nights, these brief moments that they're trying to sleep, I imagine there would be many, many sleepless nights where all they've, all they've got is they're left alone with their thoughts. Yeah. And, you know, in these times, you're right. All you would do is think about all the things you would have wished you had done in the past. Like it's, yeah, it's rough. So the next day they come across the, the injured, I guess. There's a lot of, um, apparently a plane came down because the higher up on the plane added in a bit of extra armor for himself, which caused the plane to be so heavy that it crashed, ironically killing him and all of his men. And again, this is a conversation about, like, where is the line between one man and the 22 men who died flying this, being in this plane to protect this general or this this higher up? Oh, yeah. So I want to talk about this dog tag scene where they're going through all these tags to find Private Ryan's. And while this does start off as a little bit lighthearted where they're cracking a couple of jokes and treating them like poker chips. And Man, does it just turn. They quickly realize, they, they and we quickly realize the insensitiveness of what they're doing. As like you see the other members of the airborne walking past and they're treating the dog tags of their fallen comrades like nothing. They're mucking around with them. And what's interesting is that Captain Miller, obviously who is a fair and moral officer, didn't even realize himself and laughed at some of the jokes they were making. I feel this might have been a little bit intentional from some from the filmmakers to show that even a moral man like Miller can become desensitized and cold to the deaths of others during a war. But once he realizes what they're actually doing, he seems to snap out of it and even shows some regret when looking at the paratroopers passing by. Mm. So they find out that uh, Private Ryan is at Ramel? 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 Why don't you alternate every time? Oh, I lost track of all your... What was, the, what was even the word? Horvath and Horvath. That's probably the only time you've said it since then. I said it once. Yeah. Anyway, they, let this it is, go. Yeah, why not? We've got better things to talk about. This is where the whole crew sees Miller's hand, like, shaking over the compass. Everyone starts to notice, like, even the captain here can get nervous. And mm. he's he's been holding it in for a long time. He's been that, that figure to look at for courage. Mm. I d- yeah, honestly, I think this time around... I notice so much more about the handshaking and the importance it plays later on. And we'll get to it, but I yes. did, I did, I definitely appreciated the handshaking more than any other viewing this time. Cause it, I mean, it's such a massive part of it. They show it so often. I'm glad that it actually did come back for a, for a decent meaning later on. Yeah. I actually picked up on a little error here. Ooh. Yeah. When the gang go off to, on their way to the Ramel Bridge to find Ryan, they're walking through the countryside and there's actually eight men still walking through the grasslands. 
and there should only be seven, because Capazzo is dead. Okay. Yeah. All right, I didn't pick up on that. Because I counted... The reason I, I picked up on it is because the first time at the start... Well, closer to the start of the movie, when they're walking through the countryside, I stopped it and I counted the eight because I wanted to make sure I had all the main characters down, what their character names were, et cetera, et cetera. And here I saw the countryside again. I paused it and I was like, all right, let's count. And there was still eight. Oh, okay. And there's only seven in the next scene. Yeah, this scene where they go on the side mission, Miller seems like he's he's losing it a yeah, bit here. Yeah, he's this is genuine weakness from Miller. He feels, I guess, he feels like this mission is starting to get beneath him, like not worth it, and he wants to be doing something that's helping the cause of the war. Yeah, okay. Because this 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 mission has nothing to do with the war. Not, the mission to save Private Ryan has nothing to do with the with the movement. With winning the war. Yeah. Yep. So he sees this opportunity. He's like, let's do it. And all the the soldiers are like, sir. I just uh, I don't have a good feeling about this one. When was the last time you felt good about anything? I do like the way that Miller justifies it though to himself and tries to justify it to his team, saying, "Yeah, we could just go around it, but what if the next team come up and they all get killed because of it, and they're yeah, they're caught in this ambush?" You know, like he's trying to do the right thing. It's not like. Like, yes, he's obviously getting unnerved and maybe losing his sharp edge, but he has genuine reason. Yeah. Like, you can't really argue with that reason. Like, what they're doing could potentially save more lives down the track. Yeah. How do you argue with that? You can't. And this is where Medic Wade perishes, unfortunately. It's a... Very realistic blood and wounds here. The whole thing with him wanting more morphine as well, like, that's... It's hard to, to watch. Just that the morphine, just to to kill it, like to kill him. That's what they use. They they overdose it's... him on morphine to 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 rid him of the pain. That's uh. why they keep pumping him full of morphine. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was just to rid him of the pain. Not no, no, to no. It was kill to, him. Nah, to OD on morphine. Well, and they just shoot him in the head. Seems quite. Yeah, vulgar. but they're wasting. I thought the problem was that they're wasting their very limited supply of morphine. I don't think they really know what to do with it. They're, they're, when the when Wade is dying, he's telling them everything what to do. Is mm. a, a bullet in my back? Oh, show me! Oh, it's my liver. I need morphine, and that's and that's why they were questioning it. Like they looked at each other, and he's they're like, "No, just give him the morphine. Like, yeah, better to die like the, like peacefully in, in no Hard, hardly peaceful, less pain. Yeah, less pain. Yeah." They end up capturing this German soldier, Steamboat Willie. Yeah, and they start wailing on this guy, and they want to they want to kill him. But Upham is like, "This is not this is not us. This is not what we do. You can't kill him in cold blood." Yeah. But Miller's having none of it. He's ready to go, and and this is where you see Miller go go off by himself, hide, and just break down. He starts crying. He doesn't want the men to see him. Yeah, this scene of Hanks breaking down here is fantastic. Yeah, like he's it. It must be so hard. So the way the way he cries, like to act like you were trying not to cry, whilst at the same time uncontrollably crying, like it's really great from him here. We've actually mentioned that before with uh, Emma Stone in La La Land, having having to cry but not act like you're crying, like a kind of reverse way, I guess, when she's in the audition. Yeah, yeah, I do remember yeah, that. And it's and that's like obviously a mark of a good actor to be able to do this. Hmm. Yeah, both very good. So Miller goes back, and this is where Raven gets very, very angry. When they let him go. They let the German go. Yeah. Well, yeah. Before they do, when they're deciding and Miller says, nah, he's going, Raven loses it. And he's, you know, he threatens to desert. And Horvath comes out of nowhere. Like, 
He's backing his boy up. No, it's Tom Sizemore, but he needs to calm down a little bit. He's he's helping out Miller. Like, oh, don't you speak to your, your there's no captain reason like to that? pull a pistol on him. Using that fear tactic. Oh, it was just And everyone's starting to fall out here. They're all arguing. And this is where Hanks brings his men back together by revealing his profession. Like this is where he, he just starts to connect. Su- he yeah. just changes the subject. He can he connects with them now. He 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 gives them all that we are a brotherhood here. Why yeah. like why he's fighting? Let's let's just bring it back in and tells them his profession that he's a school teacher. And then we get almost the quote of the movie. I just know that every man I kill, the farther away from home I feel. It's it's so sad. Like but you understand why he lets him go. Yeah. You know, like, he just wants to be able to go home to his wife and be the same man that he was when he left, and he feels like everyone he kills is just changing slowly and slowly, and he he just wants to go back to the way it was with his wife. Ironically enough, though, the man he, le- the man he lets go is going to be the one that kills him, mm. that stops him from going home. Yeah. Actually, Hanks' speech was supposed to be a lot longer in the original script here, but Hanks said to Spielberg that he thought his character wouldn't have that much to say about himself. So Spielberg ended up shortening the speech, mm. which I like. like. Yeah, it's so it's a tight speech, it's succinct, and that's right. Like this is a man that doesn't want to speak about himself. So you no, can he's under- done it. He's done it so far. Yeah, you can understand why Hanks would say, "Yeah, let's not go too far away from the character." And this is where we meet Ryan, Matt Damon, Private James Ryan, James Francis Ryan. Ryan from Iowa, Pennsylvania. No, it's not. <laughs> and even here. When they basically tell him what's happened, he's on he's on the brother's side as well. Like, why is he any different? Why should he be singled out as someone who gets to go home? He's exactly like everyone here. These are his new brothers. Yeah, I, lo- I love that perspective. Like, I have no more brothers. Yeah. These are my brothers. I'm not ditching them. And you can tell the men not only can understand that, but I feel like the lights of um, Raven and Mellish, who have been more vocal about, you know, this guy's not worth it, I feel like they respect him more after this. Yeah. You know, like, even though at the same time they're like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Yeah. We've sacrificed all this to get you and now you're not coming. Like, that moment where one of them, it'd be Rabin or Malish, says we've lost two guys and Ryan just stops. He looks and he's like, is, is that true? What are their names? You know, like, it's yeah, it's so well done. I mean, this film is clearly a human think piece about the morality of man and how each life is the same as the next wrapped in a fantastically filmed war movie. Mm. That's how I see this film. Mm. So now we get a fair bit of strategy talk for the big attack coming up. Yeah, apparently a sticky bomb is a real thing that they used back then, how they grease up socks filled with explosives so that they would attach to tanks and stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like playing so many like first-person shooter games, a sticky bomb is not that uncommon. So when they were like, oh, is that is that a real thing? I was like, well, I know it to be a real thing. <laughs> but- you don't expect me to say, oh, have you not played Call of Duty? <laughs> and this is where we actually learn what FUBAR is as well. Really? Yeah. This has been teased all day. They always just say FUBAR, and Upham is like FUBAR, FUBAR. And they're like, yeah, it's German. And he starts looking through his German book. So I can't find it in there. Yeah, I know all that. Yeah. I didn't actually think they said what it was in the movie. No, I, they I, I looked He's, it up. He says it with uh, Mellish. Oh. I actually looked it up prior to this happening because I didn't know if they were going to say it or not. But they don't They don't say, by the way, FUBAR is this. He just goes fucked up beyond all recognition. Yeah. Like passing off and just gives him a smile. And you see up and like, FUBAR, ah. Oh. Gee, I, I did not pick that up when on he's, any he, When he's piling all the ammo on his shoulders. Oh, no. I, yeah. I know the bit you're talking about. I just... Yeah, I never realized that that actually explained it. Yeah. That's very good. 
So we get this really quiet scene now between Captain Miller and Private Ryan. Now, uh, this is a story where Damon's talking about his brothers in the barn and whatnot, but this whole story was actually, you know, ad-libbed by Matt Damon. And I think Tom Hanks's reaction to it is fantastic. Like, it would be... Because Damon's laughing while he's telling this story. We've all been in that situation where we're telling a story that we think is hilarious because we lived <laughs> it, and the other person doesn't. Now, you know, it'd be so easy for Hanks to laugh along with Damon's laughter as it's socially expected, but he doesn't. He looks on calmly at this kid, almost awkwardly at times, like he's unsure what reaction he should be showing here while Damon is just bearing his soul out to him. And what I really love is, after it, Fryan asks Miller for, oh, you know, like, I've told my story. Why don't you tell me um, your wife's rose pruning story? And Miller, in character, no, that one's just for me. Yeah. And I love that. Like, even he does not conform to, like, the social pressure of laughing along with someone telling a story they think is funny, but you don't. And then the social expectation of, right, I've just opened up to you. Now it's your turn to open up to me. And he's like, no, I'm not here for that. Exactly. You know, I'm here to follow orders. Yeah. And it's, yeah, I thought it was really well done. Just, again, like, it's very small. It's subtle. But it was, yeah. It is. It's really good. Yeah. It's really good. So we're into the last act of the film, I guess, this big... Final battle. Yeah, final battle. In fact, the first battle on the Omaha Beach and this battle takes up about an hour of the entire runtime, mm. which is pretty massive. Yeah. Not unexpected, though. No. But yeah, this whole scene is amazing. And you expect, like, a lot of these soldiers now to die. Like, you, you know this is the last part of the movie. You're thinking, okay, no one's safe now, or no one was safe to begin with. What's going to happen here? And... And it does so much more than that. Like, some of these scenes are just insane. Like, I mean, Mellish's death is horrible. And not just not just how he dies, but the effect on Upham and how he could have saved him. And he doesn't. And he's standing in the stairwell crying and scared. And it's, it's so brutal. Like, not only just that slow death of the knife going in, it's, it's fantastic. Fantastic. You took the words right out of my mouth. This scene is my... Excellent! Yeah. Okay. Understandable. I, I really love this scene. It's so rough to watch. And the German soldier, like what he's actually saying to Malish as he's slowly pushing this knife through his chest, he's saying, it's okay. This will be easy. Let it end here. It will be over quickly. Like, But even the words Malish says... Just before it happens, he's like, "No, wait, stop, stop, stop!" Yep. Like yep. he's trying to, he's yep. he's trying to reason with him now. Yeah. In those last seconds before his death, he's he's just conformed to bargaining. Yeah. But seeing their struggle and finally the end result, it's very powerful. And as you say, the German walking past Upham, it's brutal. Like Upham could have saved Malish, but he's too scared. Yeah. And I love that the German soldier is humanized here too. He's not a monster. He's just a man who sees another man who poses absolutely no threat to him and walks away. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I really love it. See, I don't think Spielberg portrays the Germans as the villains of no, this movie. No, the, vil no, no, no. the villain of this movie is the war. war. Yeah. 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 And that's no. what I love about it too. Yeah. Great war films do not make out the enemy to be the monster. Yeah. Right? Everyone's struggling and Spielberg shows it. Expertly. So, in this final battle, Jackson is killed by a tank. 
Also, Horvath gets shot multiple times um, and keeps walking around. Yeah. And then we get this another slow motion scene with Miller here. He looks around and he sees Ryan crying hysterically in the corner. Very reminiscent to the like the first shot yeah, of him. Ha- that absolutely. Yep. He looks over. Horvath is dead. Yep. Like, there's no glory in this. No. It's just here's what happened. And as you say before, we see that German soldier, and I don't think I actually appreciated the first few times I watched it that it was the same guy. Yeah. But the same guy that they let live actually kills him. <laughs> but uh, Miller fi- firing his pistol oh, at man. this tank. I was like, what is going on here? I'm Like, I'd forgotten how this battle ends. I'm like, they're toast here. Yeah. How are they getting out of this? And then he's, I love it, he's firing this little <laughs> pistol and it's just boom. It was like, it reminded me of the scene in, was it The Dark Knight or Batman Begins? It was in one of the Batman movies where the kid's like, got a toy gun, he's like, pew, 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 and then Batman blows up uh, something. That's in The Dark Knight when, he's, when his bike comes out of the Batmobile, when he's crashed it. Un- yeah, yeah, that's right, that's yeah. right, that's right. But Did yeah. I just correct you on a Batman movie? Oh, they all blend together. Oh, it's a great times. day today. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> No, but like you said, like when he shoots the gun and the tank blows up, mm. it's like what? Like, yeah. <laughs> like what is he actually aiming for here? Like, did he shoot the bullet into? That's the what tank I was thinking. And it so shoot it got the missile. Lodged and then, yeah, but nah. no, the aeroplanes come over. Yeah, and take control. And this is where Upham comes out of his little hiding place with his gun Springs and brings to action. And again, this German guy tries to be friend- friendly with him again. He remembers his name. Yeah, Upham. Upham and. And Upham... He looks... Well, the thing is, he looks so relieved when he sees that it's Upham. Yeah. Because he knows... He knows that Upham won't kill him. But he doesn't know because he does. No, he knows. And then bang. Yeah. He kills only him and lets the others go. Like... I think... The most likely reason he did kill him is because seeing Willie again with his fellow rifleman kind of revealed his lack of honour. And contrary to the qualities that Upham said he had when he was trying to spare his execution, for the first time he's able to fire upon his enemy. Like it's like he finally gets that courage to take this guy down because mm. of his lack of honour. I also feel like he feels personally betrayed by yeah. Willie, and he sees that it's Willie who shoots Miller. He knows that. He is fucked up. That Upham has fucked up in letting this guy live. Yeah. Like, he pushed and pushed for this guy to live, and he did. And because of his decision, like, I'm sure another German would have shot him, but you can argue because of that decision, Captain Miller is going to die here. And it's it's tough. But you can see he's very conflicted here. And you get Ryan talking to Miller, and you get Miller's great final line. Earn this. And it's, it's, he's obviously showing to Ryan and and to us, the viewers, that we must strive to be worthy of the sacrifices made by those who have suffered. Make those losses worthwhile. Yeah, so we see the camera really focuses on the steady hand of Ryan here. And then it focuses on the steady hand of Miller. Now, we've seen time and time again, as we've said, the shaking of Miller's hand. It's not shaking anymore. He's dead. Yeah. Like, there is no black and white about it. This is as clear as day as it gets. And this is where you get this... Pretty fluent transition from a young Ryan to old Ryan now, actually revealing that the person at the start was Private James Ryan. They actually got a Matt Damon elderly person lookalike. Like they got mm. someone who looked what, what Matt Damon would probably look like when he's older. So yeah. you can definitely see it after the fact as well when they do that small transition. Mm. And even here, this final scene when he's talking to Miller at the, the grave 
saying, I, you know, I hope I did did right by you. Like, am I? And then he says to his wife, like, tell me I'm a good man. Tell oh, me I'm. It's, it's incredible. It is fantastic. It's such a great ending. It honestly gave me goosebumps. Like, yeah. I, I, you know, wasn't crying. I welled up yeah. at this scene. Like, it was, it's so powerful. Like, the message it sends is, oh, it's so clear. And it's just, you cannot argue with it. No. Like, there's no two ways about it. There's no opinion on it. Like, the sacrifices that were made were immeasurable. And we are the ones benefiting from it. Yeah. You know, and the whole earn this, earn it, that's what it's all about. And the way Ryan says he lived his life the best he could. He, he, he hopes... Oh, the final lines. Tell me I've led a good life. What? Tell me I'm a good man. It's just crushing. Yes, yes it is. And with that being said, let's get into... Any last words? Dean, what are your final thoughts on Saving Private Ryan? Saving Private Ryan is an incredibly powerful film. I love it. More and more every time I watch it. I haven't played around with my favourite movies of all time list, but if I was to do it, I would definitely move Saving Private Ryan up again, as I always seem to do. It really is a it's a perfect film. It's a perfect war film. I mean, everyone is at the top of their game. Spielberg is incredible. All the cast, like there's so many big names here on show. They all play their part. They all fit in so nicely. But the overall message of this film, as we've talked in great length throughout the podcast, it's it's just unflinching with what it does. And it genuinely, it genuinely got... I'm not... I would not consider myself an overly patriotic man at all, but it genuinely made me stop and think about the past and the sacrifices that people have made for us and for our way of life. And it's just the respect that you've got to have for these people in these war times is just... It's... It's, it's it's incredible. It really is incredible what what has happened in our past, and I think the way it was captured here on film is as close to real as I could ever see in happening. Which is why, for me, this film is... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. All right, what are your final thoughts, Endo? How the fuck did this lose to Shakespeare in Love? Yeah. Nah, but seriously, Saving Private Ryan is an absolute masterpiece. Steven Spielberg, he's, he crafted this technically perfect, emotionally driven powerhouse of a film that triggers all emotions inside you at one point or another during the near three hour long runtime. Like seeing the realistic and violent portrayal of war opens up your eyes and makes you appreciate the sacrifice all these people made and in all the other wars too, so that you yourself can live the life you lead and you should strive to make it worthwhile. With strong themes of family and brotherhood throughout, Spielberg also poses the moral question, what is a human life really worth? As we see eight equals all risking their lives to save just one also equal, but with a fantastic script and great acting from all these leads, we learn so much about all these people and stand out among each other as individuals so that we get many facets of this argument. And as we learn about these soldiers, it carries that extra emotional wallop for when some of them actually do get killed. We do start the film off as a big overriding war film, showing us how awful and brutal it can be, but it gradually turns into a smaller story about something that really has nothing to do with the war. It's about morality and where a single human life falls. So you add that to a very contained and philosophical story and wrap it in this exquisitely shot, technically brilliant film made by one of the best directors of all time, and you get an... Amazing. Amazing. Incredible. Outstanding. From me too. Great final thoughts there, Hendo. 
Well said. I was the best because the crowd loved me. All right, Dean, where is Saving Private Ryan going to sit on your list? So for me, I've got three films um, on my list that are five stars. Once Upon a Time in America, then La La Land, and then Die Hard. Um, Saving Private Ryan, for me, it's so hard because you're talking about films that, like, I love, love all of these films. I mean, yeah, with these films, they're separated by inches here. Yeah, this is so close. I feel like Die Hard is a lot more rewatchable. But having said that, I feel like Saving Private Ryan makes up for that with the actual emotional punch that it lands. So I'm going to put Saving Private Ryan above Die Hard, then up against La La Land. For me, I think La La Land's a much more personal film for me, so I'm going to stop it there. I'm going to put Saving Private Ryan at number three on my list. What about you? I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This is my new number one. Nice. Yeah. We may still have mail. Mail, mail, mail. Here it is. And this could be it. Uh... Alright, we've got a couple of reviews here of Saving Private Ryan. Let's have a look on Twitter first. First one here is from Paul at the Countdown Movie and TV Reviews podcast. He says, Saving Private Ryan is not the seventh best war film of all time. If you don't understand that, go and look up their podcast. There's a quite a funny little scene there involving Paul and Wayne. From the Dare Daniel podcast, the opening 20 minutes of Saving Private Ryan was unlike any other film opening I'd ever seen and was a transformative movie experience for this once young film goer. Also here from TJ at Movie with the Misses, Saving Private Ryan is spectacular. What a gut punch of a movie. From the opening 20 minutes, you know exactly what you're in store for. A visceral portrayal from a fantastic cast with some of the best cinematography put to screen. Only downside, the violence is hard to take. Next up on Letterboxd, we have one from Julio at the Contrarians podcast. I was going to open with a Saving Private Ryan quote, but then I went down the rabbit hole of IMDb quotes, and before I knew it, I was tearing up. I remember watching it in theatres when it first came out, being amazed at the technical aspect of it, but trying too hard to be cynical about it. Fucking Spielberg and his sentimentality, and now my eyes get watery reading quotes from the movie. I've seen it countless times. I love it more every rewatch. It's not my favourite Spielberg because, one, Minority Report exists, and two, I wish he'd been clearer regarding the German soldier that kills Miller and or gets shot by Upham. Doesn't matter, it's still a masterpiece. My... Excellent! That scene after Miller lets the German prisoner go when Rabin threatens to commit mutiny and we finally find out what the captain does for a living in the real world. I don't need to tell you how amazing that sequence is. You just watched the movie. Thank you very much for that, Julio. Another one here from Chris. I have trouble putting into words how I feel about this film. I do believe that this is Spielberg's masterpiece and it should be required viewing for everyone. After 20 years, the opening D-Day scene still causes me to feel anxiety and it still leaves me breathless. I'm not really sure what else to say. This film is perfect, and as the years go on, I find new ways to appreciate what was achieved here. Thank you very much for those reviews there. And we've got a final one here from... Shane! I don't think we'd ever seen a World War II film with such high octane, graphic combat action until this movie. At least not from my recollection. The violence was one of the most talked about things surrounding this film upon release. Headshots, body dismembered, guys set on fire, it has it all. And yet by today's standards... I'd actually say the violence is often downplayed and muted. I always found this film a little slow going and difficult to engage with, largely because along with the central characters, you are thrust into the battlefield with them, without any background or time to get to know them. Saving Private Ryan doesn't have the training section of the war. You don't ever see what anyone was like before the conscription. You do get a sense though about who the characters were through conversations they have in the quieter moments of the film. 
scattered throughout. And that reflection does leave a lasting impression. Another thing the film struggles with is the artificialness of being a product of its time and directed by Steven Spielberg. What? There's an underlying sense in the way some of the film is conveyed that it's aware it has a huge audience watching it. There's a subconscious effort to make sure it keeps in line with mainstream expectations. Uh, I would disagree with that, I'll combat that because uh, in my research I didn't actually bring up... Steven Spielberg didn't actually think this would be a mainstream success. No, not at all. And he actually said that he was kind of expecting it to get an NC-70 rating in America, which is basically commercial failure. Yeah, like, and he, he said that he would not cut a single yeah. scene out of it. In fact, there were a certain countries around there, like I think Malaysia and India, yeah. where they banned the movie unless he cut it. And he said, no, buggy yeah. is, I'm not touching it. Yeah. So, yeah, I disagree with you about the mainstream portion of that. Yeah, I disagree saying that it's a Spielberg film is a negative. Anyway, moving on. Pushing past that, though, well said. (laughs) Or or otherwise ignoring it, as we all should. I found the film to be highly realistic and thoroughly engaging. The film improves as it goes along, as you get to know the characters better and feel for them when misfortune strikes. There are moments when you actually feel like you're there with them in the trenches, getting shot at from all directions and being disorientated. The film doesn't necessarily explore the horror of war as it exposes how everyday, normal folks behave in dire situations. These soldiers aren't hardened men willing to die for their country. They're just forced to play a part in the madness. I guess the biggest takeaway is that you're just glad it's not happening to you. Overall, Saving Private Ryan deserves its acclaim, including the Best Director Oscar for that's Steven right, Spielberg. That's right. Thank you, Sharon. And is definitely in the conversation for the best war films of all time. Thanks for that, Shane. Thank you very much, Shane. Remember, guys, if you'd like to send in your reviews of any of the movies we do along here, you can send us an email at imdbjourney at gmail.com. You can get a hold of us on Twitter at twitter.com slash imdbjourney. Or you can get on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash imdbjourney. So we've been getting a couple more questions in uh, this week, so we've decided to do a new section called... Answer my question! The question, jerk! Our first question here is from the Man Brain Podcast. What's the most motivational interpretation of cosmic nihilism for our postmodern age? Dean? Now, I'm not sure if you're joking with this question. I feel like you probably are. But it did, it did spark me to do a little bit of research. I went down the old Reddit rabbit hole and I did a lot of reading on nihilism and it was pretty... Oh, you two are fuck. I'm, I'm out of this question. I've got no idea what the fuck you're no, talking no, about. No, 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 no. It was really depressing. Basically, nihilism is the belief that nothing we do matters, that we as people, as a person, does not matter, all right? So that we shouldn't behave in ways... Now... Hold on, I should probably stop speaking. I'm no expert on this by any stretch of the imagination. I know, you went to Reddit. I've just read a few things here and there. So, I'm actually going to stop. But, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for giving me this question. Because it was something I'd never read up on, and I did find it a little bit interesting. So, I don't have an answer to your ridiculous question. But thanks for prompting me to look something up. Maybe keep it movie related. (laughs) One here from the Real Horror Show podcast said, is the house on the inside or outside of the structure? What is with you guys this week? I have an answer for that. Oh, here we go. I think the house is on the outside of the structure. The home is on the inside. Cue soppy music. You are a dickhead. (laughs) Do you have an answer? I mean, you search nihilism. Yeah, because it means something. This is like a a riddle question. Apparently nihilism doesn't mean anything. It doesn't not mean anything. (laughs) This is just... (sighs) Yeah. Did you say it's a riddle? Yes. Then what's the answer? There is no answer. It's both. I I just answered it. No, you didn't. 
Anyway, let's well, get to the good let's get to the actual only relevant question we got this week. Movie with the misses. Daniel, in your eyes, which actress under thirty is taking over Hollywood? This is so easy. Okay, so I let's t- hold on before we get to that. So he asked Daniel for actress taking over under thirty, and he asked me for actor under thirty taking over. Are you saying yours is harder? Oh yeah. <laughs> Did you actually do any work on mine? Why would I do any work on yours? Oh, I looked up yours and mine, and holy shit, yours is so easy, it's not funny. I wonder if you're going to say, say the same as me. I had two in There's mind. There's two options. Yeah. I think one's better than the other. Okay, let's see where we end up on. I think it's Margot Robbie. What? It's not even on your list? No. Okay. Really? Yeah. She's taking over with her I, Tonya, and with her new Mary Queen of Scots movie coming out soon. No. She is definitely on the rise to get a Best Actress, at least a nomination again, maybe even the win. Who do you, who do you think? You're going to answer my question now. My second was Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. The fact that you didn't say Jennifer Lawrence actually made me doubt that she was under 30. I just looked her up. She's 27. She is so easily the number one it girl in Hollywood, it's not funny. Mm. It's not even close. To say Margot Robbie is... Nah. Jennifer Lawrence is already taken over Hollywood. Margot Robbie might. Maybe. The other one... has a much better career coming ahead of her. The other one... I would disagree with that. The other one you could have said was Emma Stone. Yeah, she was there too, but I think Margot Robbie she has was there. much How more- How can you say Margot Robbie is up there above Jennifer Lawrence and Jennifer Lawrence, Emma Stone? What's, what's she doing right now? She did Red Sparrow. She's not like her- Oh my God, I get that you didn't like Red Sparrow, okay? <laughs> did you end up watching Red Sparrow? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, that's my answer, so fuck you. Why don't you yeah. get to yours? Well, I had an actually hard question. There is really not a lot of young actors- under 30, that are taking over Hollywood. Now, so I've I'm got... I'm wondering if you're going to say this guy's name. Okay, I've actually put four down. Oh, hey, okay, hang on. Mine was so hard, so I got four. I got four answers. Because <laughs> none of the... I would say none of them are, okay? But the four that I would say are closest, I'll do three, and then I'll say the one that I actually think will. Just give us your answer. Okay, I've got Taron Edgerton. No. Okay, Kingsman is in the up-and-coming Robin Hood. He's in Legend, Eddie the Eagle. Like, he is an actual good, diverse actor. He's in some big movies, Robin Hood especially, coming up. Okay, the next one I had was Ansel Elgore. That's the next one I was going to say. <laughs> Baby Driver, Fault in Our Stars, Divergent Series. Again, but I feel like he lacks charisma. I swear, if you say Miles Teller next. Next, John Boyega. Uh, but the problem with him is... He's obviously so Star Wars-centric. Mm. Having said that, if I had to say one, my one answer, which I know you're going to argue with, is Tom Holland. Okay. I mean, he's, he's Spider-Man. Yes, he's Spider-Man. But it's not just because he's Spider-Man. It's because he's a fantastic singer, dancer, and he just oozes so much charisma and just natural talent. I feel like he will go on to massive, massive things in Hollywood. I mean, those last three, uh, yeah, fine. I reckon you could take Taron Egerton out and put Timothy Chalamet in there. I think he's going to... I like, think he had an, an amazing year last year, but I don't think that just means that, oh, yeah, he's... Plus, again, he's so... He's not that type. He's so quiet and subdued. Like, a lot of these young under-30 actors, like your Miles Tellers and all these, they're very... I'd like to hear your opinion on this at the end of the year once Hot Summer Nights comes out and Beautiful Boy as well. Beautiful Boy is set up to be like the big Oscar ten- contender here with him and Steve Carell. Like, I'll wait to see what happens there. Okay. Yeah. Be interesting to get back to that. But thank you for your question, TJ. So let's get into last week's movie draft where we did Hugh Jackman movies. 
And just to refresh everyone's memory here, I drafted the Prestige, Prisoners, X2, Swordfish, and the Fountain. And I drafted Logan, X-Men, Days of Future Past, The Greatest Showman, Les Miserables, and Happy Feet. <laughs> Got a reply here from Films on Trials podcast, said, I love the Prestige. He was brilliant in Prisoners. <laughs> but Logan and Les Mis are his greatest performances. Defo with Dean on this one. Thanks, mate. Um, also here from Movie Geek and Proud, ringing the Dean, 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 Dean bell. Great list from both of you, though. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that. <laughs> Next up from Melissa at the Book Reading Pod, Days of Future Past and The Greatest Showman. That's why I had to go Team Dean. Love you both. Keep up the good work. One here from the Two Dads Review podcast said, Voting strictly based on me in 2001, 21 years old, and watching Swordfish for all the right reasons. You pervy bastards. <laughs> uh, no, R for you. Uh, from this... <laughs> <laughs> Don't take my R. <laughs> from the Trailer Junkies podcast, I love the X-Men franchise, but Aronofsky, Nolan, and Villeneuve... Villeneuve? Villeneuve? You can say it so many different ways. I think it's Noove. Villeneuve, win it for Daniel. Finally, from the For Better or Worse podcast, Logan is one of my all-time favourites, so it was an easy choice. Yeah, you seem to get a lot of uh, votes there from all the comments. I get a lot of positive comments. Uh, Let's have a look at the votes then. 81 votes later, 54% to Team Daniel. Yeah. (laughs) Guess it was a silent crowd for me this week. vocal (laughs) minority I had. (laughs) Okay, so I have a movie to pick for you this week. And I know what you think about Trader Busan. I don't know what you think about The Wailing yet. I'll find out about that in a little bit. But I'm going to go with another foreign film. It's a film that I don't really know too much about. It's from 2014, I believe. It's called Why Don't You Play in Hell? Fucking hell. So you go and watch that this week, and you will tell me next week if I should bother with it. That sounds cheery. So, what's next? All right, it's time to find out what movie we'll be watching next week, Dean. Why don't you hit that random number generator and see where we go. Here we go. 1 to 250. Let's generate 117. And that is Some Like It Hot. Okay. We're going back to the 50s. 50s, baby. All right. So we will watch Some Like It Hot this week. So we're going to take a break and bring in our guests for the new portion of our podcast. But that's going to do it for Saving Private Ryan. Hey Topher, I was doing an etymology search because, well, who needs a reason? Turns out watch comes from the proto-Germanic word watchen, meaning be awake. Interesting if true, Billy. So our podcast, We Watched a Thing, really just means we stayed awake for something. Uh, Yeah, or at least most of it. Well, having been awake is about all the credentials we can really lay claim to when it comes to talking about movies. Speak for yourself, I've got legit IMDB credit. Well, all the visual effects experience in the world doesn't change the fact that you found passengers so emotionally touching that you cried. Oh yeah, taste guidelines from the cameraman who likes Jedi more than Empire, really? Ewoks are the best! Are they? Yes. And if you, dear listener, feel there aren't enough semi-informed cinematic opinions in your life, then a weekly dose of We Watched a Thing is for you. We Watched a Thing. We stay awake in everything. Find us at wewatchedathing.com or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else good podcasts are found.
So now we're into our new section of the podcast where we take on some of your favorite other podcasts in a battle royale, I guess, in a couple of games here. And our first guest ever is, you just heard their, their promo, it's uh, Billy and Topher from the We Watch The Thing podcast. How you doing, guys? <laughs> Billy really looked like he was going to talk and then just pointed at me. <laughs> Fantastic start. Well done. <laughs> we're doing... We're, do- we're doing really well, and it's great to be here. All right, all right. <laughs> so before we start, why don't you tell the listeners, well, I'm pretty sure most of them would be listening to you guys too, and if they're not, then I don't know. They, what are they doing with Yeah, exactly, lives? exactly. <laughs> what do you tell them uh, about your podcast and, and about you guys as well? So we're a couple of, of old friends whose friendship was essentially based on talking about movies, and then one day we were like, we should hit record on these conversations of ours. Billy's a visual effects artist. I'm a cameraman, so we have like a really dodgy claim to know what we're talking about, but not really. Guys, now you're just showing off. <laughs> so we talk most most weeks. We talk about a new release, but sometimes we do a classic, and some weeks we do a movie Billy likes, <laughs> which are still classics. I stand by Spear and John Carter. Wow. <laughs> you weren't kidding. <laughs> All right. Why don't we get into it, guys? So uh, why don't we do our first game here, which is our standard movie quiz. Pop quiz, asshole. So what we'll do here is we got five questions here. Um, I don't know what questions you guys have got set up for us, but we've got five different categories here, one for each. And so, why don't we start? Why don't you pick one of you guys to answer the first question, and you alone will answer the question? Ooh. I'm happy to be lead off batter, Billy. Let's go, Toph. All right. Smarter than me. All right. So, the first question we've got here is is from the genre of thriller. Uh oh. Billy should have taken this. All right, here we go. What is the name of the 2006 drama thriller film starring Matt Damon, Robert De Niro, and Angelina Jolie? Damon, De Niro, and Jolie from 06. Yeah. You may have heard of them. (laughs) (laughs) Was that... Was it The Good Shepherd? Very good. Well done. Boom, baby. (laughs) I asked that to Dean earlier and he had I no had idea. no idea. <laughs> he was like, are you sure these aren't too hard for them? <laughs> no oh, man, I, s- I that was so deeply remember that film. <laughs> <laughs> All right, first point to you guys. All right, well, we'll go back to you guys. So yep. whichever one of you wants to answer this question, we have not got categories for ours. They're just kind of scatter questions. No worries, I'll take the first one then. All righty. Who's That Knocking at My Door was the feature film debut of which legendary director? Whoa. Holy <laughs> shit. Oh, I'm so glad I didn't take that. <laughs> Who's That Knocking at My Door? It sounds kind of familiar. Should we give the year? G- yeah, let's give the year. All right, give me two seconds here. Let me bring up IMDb. Okay. Which I will then close to not blatantly cheat from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Who's That Knocking at My Door was made in 1967. Shit, it's not who I think it is then. Um, ooh, okay. Let's have a punt. Is it Martin Scorsese? Boom, you got oh, it. Yes! Done. Wow. <laughs> very, Dean very gave me a good. foul look then like, what kind of answer is that? Hey, you disgrace the Scorsese name. <laughs> All right. Very good. What a get. Hold on. <laughs> All right, here's our next... Um, oh, yeah, Dean, Dean can take this one. Dean, why don't you take this one, mate? 
Thank you, kind sir. <laughs> All right, in the category of fantasy slash sci-fi, Stellan Skarsgård plays Bootstrap Bill in which franchise? Oh, man. Topher's looking like he knows it. He's got a pretty smug look on his face. <laughs> and I have no idea. Because I'm happy to lose if it means that I look good doing it. <laughs> <laughs> You'll always hold that oh. against them. All right, Bootstrap Bill, fantasy sci-fi. Ooh. And it's a franchise, you said, so more than one film? Yep. Yeah. You're just going to have to take a guess on the franchise, Billy. How many franchises can there be? Out there. Oh, man. Okay. Um, Alien. No. no. <laughs> I, I knew that wasn't it, but... <laughs> what was it? What was it? It was Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, I should have made that connection. That's such a piratey name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, Dean, you're up now. All right, so now let's say we've got a category here. We've got a film score question. Ooh. All right, film score. How many of John Williams' five Academy Awards were for films directed by Steven Spielberg? Okay. This is just going to be a wild guess here. I have no idea. I'm going to say four. Ooh. Oh, it's three. <laughs> oh, so close. <laughs> Jaws, E.T. and Schindler's List. How did you not get Jaws, man? Which one? <laughs> <laughs> Schindler's List was his last Oscar. He hasn't won one in a quarter of a century. Wow. Jesus. That's, ri- really that's ridiculous. Really dropped the ball there. <laughs> I mean, he's been nominated every year, but... Well, in fact, as of last year, he holds the record, doesn't he? That yeah, sounds after right. uh, he just Roger beat Disney. No, I think he just beat Deacons had the most nominations without getting a win. Oh, yeah, oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yep. All right, what are we up to? What's this category for us? Oh, here we go, Marvel. Okay, again, this should probably be you, Billy, but... <laughs> uh, it's, it's the order that was chosen, you're up, man. <laughs> All right, which MCU film involves a fight scene caught on tape at Culver University in Virginia? Good question. (laughs) AKA take a 1 in 20 guess at an an MCU film. (laughs) A fight scene caught on tape at Culver University in Virginia. A university? I think... I think I might be able to guess this one, but it doesn't matter because it's your question. Yeah. (laughs) All right, a university. Um... Ant-Man doesn't go to a university. He's a criminal. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, you fellow kids. (laughs) Okay, um, is it... Was it The Incredible Hulk? Oh, you son of a bitch. Yeah, you got it. God, that's what insane. It's only because it's the one that I've got no memory of. <laughs> and I couldn't think of a university being in any of them. Well, it makes sense. No Just one believes the random I'm not one cheating. you don't know. Uh. <laughs> All right, I guess I'm up for the. Was it question four? Question three. No, question three. Question three. Here we go. This is a Tarantino question for you guys. Oh, all right. If, I, I might just quit podcasting if I get this wrong. <laughs> Which two characters from Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction are related? So you're talking about the the one character from Reservoir Dogs and the one from Pulp Fiction? Yes. Oh, I really hope I don't stuff his name up from Reservoir Dogs, but I'm go- can I say the Vega Brothers? <laughs> Go on. I'm, ha- I'm happy with that. <laughs> oh, yeah, so, okay. It is the Vega Brothers. Yeah, it's Vincent Vega from uh, Pulp Fiction and Mr. Blonde, a.k.a. Vic, Vic Vega. Yeah, I was going to say Vic. Cool. I'm not sure I would have got Vic, to be honest. 
Alright, so I just did the last one, so yep. Dan, you're up for the next one. Okay. In the category of drama, in what 2013 odd romantic drama will you find Theodore Twombly, a writer of other people's love letters? This, again, Topher's given me that smug face. He knows it. I have no idea, so I'm going to have to think about this. So, 2013. Correct. And it's about a writer that writes other people's love letters. Yes. Okay. Oh, jeez. I don't reckon you've seen it. <laughs> that does not bode well. <laughs> 2013. I'm just trying to think back five years ago. Good maths, at least. <laughs> That's, That's hard, Chris, to do. I can barely think back five hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm just going to take a stab. For a change. <laughs> <laughs> people's love letters oh. this is probably wrong it's the only thing I know with a writer I'm going to say Ruby Sparks nah mate you're wrong nah I figured what is it it's her oh Jesus I've been meaning to see that you got it man you really should yeah. <laughs> oh. well you don't need to now no, no now I know, I know we're on the movie <laughs> yeah. spoiler alert guys <laughs> alright next question Oh, we've kind of gone on point here and gone with an IMDb question. Guys, what, you've got to give us a hard one. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> uh, which director has the most films in the IMDb Top 250? Man, I wish I had this one. Oh, okay. I would say it's either one of two. Of course. It's, it's one of <laughs> many. Uh, <laughs> are, I have heard there's more than one director in the top 250. <laughs> um, okay, give me a sec. Alright, I'm going to go with Stanley Kubrick. Ba-bow. Kubrick second. Oh, Dean is Christopher Nolan. Oh my god. Who not only has the most films, he's also got the highest percentage. Eight out of the ten films he's made are in the top 250. That's insane. Makes sense, because he's marvellous. <laughs> All right, we're into the last... What's the score? I've not been keeping track. <laughs> so, we've got two, because I've got both mine, and Billy missed both of his, oh, so thanks, that's easy. <laughs> oh, well, well, we're good as well, because these fucked both of his up, and I've got mine. <laughs> my two. Oh, so it all comes down to this. <laughs> all right, now you guys can confer on this one. Oh, excellent. And we've given you a comedy one. For what social event does John Cusack's hitman return to his hometown in gross point blank? How specific do we have to be here, Billy? Because it's a... I, okay, I haven't actually seen the film. Me neither. But <laughs> I'm fairly certain he's home for a high school reunion. Do you think we need to say the number that it is? I think we're safest to not. <laughs> so do I. I'm happy with just seeing if we <laughs> don't have to specify... To for forgiveness than permission. So I think we just go with... Let's go with high school reunion. Very good, Yay! fellas. Well done. <laughs> All right, so we're on the bloody ropes. All right, here we go. Yep. And we have a horror-related question for you guys. Shit. Oh, Hendo's favourite category. Oh, I may as well sit this one out, and since Dean can't get a question right these days, well, <laughs> we may as well just give it up. And let me tell you that Billy came up with this question, and I completely tanked on it, so... Yeah, yep. All right. Good luck. How many people are... <laughs> How many people are killed in the 1996 film Scream? Okay, I have, I have a shot at this. You have a shot. Did the okay? Do you need to see their kills, or can you see their just as long as you Ooh, see their good bodies? Question. Good question. Just you, as long as you know they're dead. I okay. think. Oh, uh, hang on. This is a kind of a loaded question. Like you, you say, as long as you know they're dead. I mean, we we know oh, her mum's dead. 
She didn't die in the movie, though. <laughs> Dead during the duration of the events of the film. There's okay. always one guy, isn't there, guys? Uh, <laughs> Dean, help me out. Did the, did the dad okay. die in the movie? I think he lived. Who was the dad? Oh, the dad. Yeah, yeah, okay, okay. I'm with you. Okay, so hang on. Let me let me count this out. So you got the you got the two at the start. I know that buddy the Fonz got whacked. The the two the two killers wasn't there. There's the, the I'm not even keeping count on my hands. That's five. That's five, is it? Yeah. So you got the stupid cameraman. How do you know this movie so well? Because <laughs> I know my movies. I've seen it like once. <laughs> he is doing so well. <laughs> I said the cameraman. That's six. There's a cameraman. Not anymore. <laughs> we all pour a little out for him. <laughs> Man, is there anyone on... Oh, there's the Rose McGowan. Oh, of course. Yep. Of course. Uh, How can we forget? Sarcastically. Okay, I'm getting seven. Help me. Help me with something, would you? Instead of holding your fingers up. <laughs> all right. I think it could be seven, maybe eight to ten. <laughs> is that your final answer will you accept 8 to 10 maybe 7 to 10 just to be sad. no 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 hold on hold on let me just let me just go over one more time I can't believe how well you know this movie man <laughs> me too um is it I'm trying to think is there anyone that got killed between the two at the start and Henry Winkler I can't remember that part of the film yeah me neither just drawing a blank on that part <laughs> just that part <laughs> All right, I can't think of anyone else. I'm, just, I'm gonna okay seven. Seven. Nice work. Oh, no. <laughs> insanely good stuff. That oh. is awesome. Wow. <laughs> Great teamwork. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was all in the finger holding that's up. Right, that's, that's right. That's where well, the real magic I'm, happens. I'm here for something. <laughs> because if he didn't do that, I would have obviously said six. <laughs> all right. Man, nice work. I, uh, we have no backup questions, so why don't we call this one a draw? Let's do it. All right. Beauty. Awesome. It's like, it's like under 10's footy where you don't keep score that's and everyone right, that's wins. That's right. Yeah. Participation trophies for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's go into our next game, which we have called... Wait a minute. Don't I know you from somewhere? So what this game is, I can't, and I'm, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember who sent me the tweet about this game, which I thought was a great idea, but you know who you are when you hear this. So thank you very much for that. So what we've done here is both podcasts have picked three actors or actresses and the other side is going to have to uh, figure out which four films are the ones that are shown on the known four page on their IMDb list. Yep. Okay. Sounds simple. Dean's nodding. Like he knows what's <laughs> going on now. All right. So we'll go first here. And who wants to go first? How do you use to, how do you use two for this one? Let's let's stick. With, let's go you first. Okay. That worked for us last right. time. All right. Topher first. Yeah. Speaking right. about myself in the third person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so your actor is going to be Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. Oh, man, he's got a big film. Famously has done several films. Yeah. <laughs> More than four, definitely. <laughs> okay. Oh, and, yeah, and just to stipulate, you've got uh, four four picks and one point for each one right. Okay. Okay, cool. That's okay. Good. And for the entirety of this game, Dean is going to be holding up his fingers to keep track of the points. <laughs> I've got a feeling... This makes no sense, but I've got a feeling... That one of Tom Cruise's is Vanilla Sky. Don't say that. Don't do that, man. That can't be right. I'm locking in Vanilla Sky. Oh my god. No. We are getting no, no. points. <laughs> Why would you do that to us? You I thought it was one of those rant. Yeah, sometimes you look and you're like, really? That's one of the ones? <laughs> and that was your first pick to go for that. Really? Yep. Shoot the Leave moon. It's a wild card, oh, man. I love Get it. Three I love points it. First. Okay. Uh, Top Gun. Excellent. One point for you. 
Oh, which Mission Impossibles to go for? Think with your head. My what? <laughs> um, let's go with just Mission Impossible. No, it's not on there. Fortunately not. So you've only got one guess left, man. Okay, but there's definitely going to be a Mission Impossible, so I'm going to go... Oh, don't go for another Mission Another Mission Impossible, because there's going to be at least one. No, don't do that. So... Rogue Nation. No. <laughs> what are you doing? What There's are you no doing? Mission Impossible on there. Oh, what? <laughs> oh, I wish I wish all four of your answers had been Mission Impossible. <laughs> this last I thought about one it. has to be. <laughs> I thought about it. Is Jerry Maguire on there? Yeah, that's on yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Why didn't you pick Jerry Maguire, mate? <laughs> the other two were the Last Samurai and my. I'm sorry. Report. How many did you get right in trivia again, Billy? <laughs> well, really? Know. This is this, what you want to do? Yeah, this is Billy. A discussion. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, All right, so uh, you get a gentleman's one point for that. I'm happy with the single cruise. <laughs> All right, okay, so you guys choose who wants to go first out of you guys. You want to go first this yeah, time? Yeah, I'll go first. All right, Dean's going first this time. Okay. I feel like I can follow that act. You've got to get off the mark. It's a challenge. <laughs> Your first is Julia Roberts. Okay, let's... Vanilla Sky. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> All right, let's go with Aaron Brockovich. One point. Score. <laughs> okay, let's go Notting Hill. No, that is incorrect. Such a shit bloke. <laughs> <laughs> let's go My Best Friend's Wedding. Boom. That's it. I yep. forgot that movie existed. <laughs> oh, I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I would never have picked that. <laughs> um, and last pick. Oh, has she done anything good recently? I don't understand how you are taking so long to think about this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> Why? <laughs> I don't want to let down the team. <laughs> really like Buster Valve here. Come on. Um, all right. Uh, let's go with sleeping with the enemy. What is wrong with you? <laughs> are you serious? <laughs> That's not are there, you mate. That <laughs> what? Pretty woman? Yeah, Pretty Woman. Yep. <sighs> and the fourth one is Os- August Osage, Orange County. Never would have got that. Oh, no. Pretty Woman, what the <laughs> hell is wrong woman. with you? Yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. Mate, you're still, you're one ahead of us, so... Hey, but you know what's more famous than Pretty Woman? My best friend's wedding. <laughs> Sleeping with the enemy. <laughs> no, it is not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, you got a good two points there, so... On Julia Roberts' tombstone, it's going to be like that person from Pretty Woman. <laughs> 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 All right, so our next one on the list here. Oh, you're going to do Come it. Come on, yeah. Billy. So Dean's going to do it. All right. The next one for you will be Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. Okay. All right. This is interesting. She has a surprisingly large filmography for someone so young. That is true. I'm going to go out there and say The Princess Diaries is on there. No, it is not. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Okay, jeez. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna guess Lay Miz. Correct. Okay, alright, sweet. Two more guesses. Anne Hathaway. Come on, you love Anne Hathaway. She's the every woman. <laughs> <laughs> Where are these every women that <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wish. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Chris Hemsworth, the everyman. I thought you were picking a movie that yeah. one. <laughs> is this yeah. a documentary? This is a deep cut. <laughs> I'm going to say The Devil Wears Prada. No, unfortunately, that's not there either. Oh my 
Jesus Christ, what are these films? I'm blown away by that. All right, I'm going to pull from Trash Hathaway then, and I'm going to say Bride Wars. No. <laughs> not a, no, unfortunately not. What? What? We've got The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, that makes sense. Yep. <laughs> Rachel getting married. That's oh, a piece of crap, but yeah. And love and other drugs. Mm. What? What? Interesting. Mm. Wow. They are strange films for her to have listed as. Oh, someone should talk to her agent about that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we'll get in contact with IMDb time to fix that up. <laughs> All right. Who's next up? Uh, my turn. All right, let's do it. What am I going to beat for you? Two? Going to get more than yeah, two? Yeah, two. Yeah, easy. Well, here we go. I hope he loses. All right, so next person for you is Jennifer Lawrence. Okay. Well, let's go with The Hunger Games. Solid pick. All right. Hmm. Um... Man, I really wish that wasn't there so he could go through the entire franchise. (laughs) 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 Silver Linings Playbook. Two for two. Fucking Red Sparrow better not be on there. Piece of shit. <laughs> um, He's blanking. Because it's all Hunger Games in my mind. Just say more Hunger Games. No. <laughs> yeah, do it. Do it, man. <laughs> What's that Bones movie she did? I'm getting confused. It's either the... The, the Bone Collector was No, shut up. <laughs> it's the it's it's either the winter's the winter's bone or the lovely bones. That, I think the lovely bones is the Shosha Ronin one. I'll, I'll say the winter's bone. Not there. Okay. Um, what are some of the recent shit she's done? Not so easy, is I it? Just a big shot. <laughs> Don't give me that crap. The Pretty Woman was so obvious for you. Pretty Woman was my Hunger Games. I probably wouldn't have said Hunger Games for this. To be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Man, for someone who's such uh, an up-and-coming rising star, I can't think of anything she's been in. Oh, okay. Um, let's take a punt of this franchise. X-Men Last Stand. No, first class oh, is there. No, that's what I meant. Damn it, I meant that. <laughs> oh, man. Obviously, she's not in Last Stand, you fucking idiot. Oh, seriously? That's what I meant. Oh, well. I knew what I meant. <laughs> And the other one was American Hustle. Yeah, I would have oh, said American shit. Hustle. shit. Last Stand? What the hell is wrong with me? Okay. All right, so this is a collaboration now on the last one for you guys. So let's go with Christopher Walken. Ooh. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Okay, Billy. Um, about Walken is he's in a lot of movies. Enough, Billy. That's actually no, really good. That's that was really, really good. good. <laughs> I try. I have a really good walk-in. Actually, we will, Just we will only accept points now in that voice. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Billy, do you think that given he won an Oscar for it, the deer hunter is likely to be there? See, this is the problem, man. Like, he has such a long career. Like, that is as likely to be there as Click. <laughs> like, I bet it's not. I bet I bet, it, I bet you'd be surprised. Like, look at who was on the other ones. Well, then I would be surprised. Let's let's try it. Let's try Deer Hunter. Are you happy with Deer Hunter yeah, as one? Let's, let's okay, lock in let's Hunter. lock in Deer Hunter. Very good. One point. Okay, excellent. I mean, if we're looking at older stuff, the Dead Zone is... I mean, that's got to be up there with Peak Walken. Yeah, Dead Zone is up there with Peak Walken. Um, but I don't I don't know whether that would be on his known for or not. You don't. <laughs> so, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> might be, but it might not be. 
<laughs> do you want to? I don't know. Do you do you want to go with Dead Zone? How many points are we behind? How many points are we behind? Are we behind one or two? Uh, so, including Deer Hunter, you're on three, and we're on four. So we each got two. You each got one. I feel like the next one we've got for them is pretty easy, though. I think they're gonna smash. Well, let's then the pressure's off because we're. <laughs> let's try. Let's try. <laughs> okay. Okay. Dead. Dead zone. No. Um, Damn it. All right. Never heard of I'm it. A- do you want to try click? <laughs> I do not. I don't even want to be right about click being there. What about in terms of box office draw? He has been in a Spielberg film in Catch Me If You Can, which presumably a bunch of people have seen. That's true, but I, when, I don't think of that film when I think of Walken. Well, because he's so often a supporting actor, though. That's what I'm, I'm trying to. That's why I said Dead Zone, because that's one of the only ones yeah. I can think of where he's a lead. What has he done recently? He's done a lot of support. He was in Seven Psychopaths not long ago, but that's not a massive film by any stretch. I mean, he's just sensational in Pulp Fiction, but it's for like two minutes. Yeah, I doubt that would be on his known for. I mean, should we try Catch Me If You Can? Okay, what do we got to lose? Let's let's try Catch Me If You Can. Very good. Well done. Oh, nice. Nice. We've got one guess left. So, so at the moment, it's equal, if we just ignore the fact that you guys have four guests yep. to come. <laughs> yes. Would it help if I talk <laughs> like this? <laughs> Your accent's getting worse the longer yeah, you go. I'm losing it. I'm losing it. It's desperation walking now. Yeah. Let's just pick the film clip for Weapon of Choice. <laughs> um... Man, I'm cracking under pressure. Like, I can't even think of walking films all of a sudden. Yeah, I, I honestly want to say click. Yeah, I, okay, <laughs> let's do it. Okay, click. click. Lads, I feel bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wish I could rewind that answer. <laughs> it's not click. Oh, no, you nice. should I'm really happy about that. <laughs> you, you almost you had it before, be guys. Yeah, should have gone with seven psychopaths. Oh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And the last one was uh, Hairspray. I didn't even know he was in Hairspray. No, no I, neither did I. I was, I was, I was never getting that one. <laughs> All right, so you one point to win it. Uh, we just need yep. Dean not to fuck it up. So Dean, just be quiet for this one. Would hey, you? We were equal on our <laughs> one. Thank you very much, <laughs> mate. You guys are going to get at least your one point because. Oh yeah, there's a yeah because there's the an main, absolute layup with this one. Yeah, the last one we picked for you guys was Sam Neil. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Should we just rattle? Well, no, he's not in the second one. I'm just going to say. <laughs> Alan. <laughs> All right, so obviously, obviously Jurassic, Jurassic Park. Park. Yep. Ding. All right. So, well, we won. Let's pack it in. <laughs> now I really think you should just guess Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> hey, oh, we might get desperate. Trust us. Right, um, what about... I'm thinking... Cause what, he's, what about that um, that old one? Was it, yeah, the uh, old one. Let's pick that one. Was it the? Was he in the piano? Is that him? I think so. Uh, we'll yeah, sure. Whatever. whatever. Yeah. We'll go with the piano. Yeah, that's him, and that's there. Yep. What, what about the the dish? The dish. I was singing the dish too. Yeah. yeah. Let's go the dish. The dish is not there. Lenny. It should oh, be. Outrage. It should be. it should be. What's um, daybreakers? Pressure's on. Are you going to win by two or three? Yeah. <laughs> we want to get this margin. What if, what if we go for um? Hunt for the Wilder People. Nah, that's not bad. Yeah, yeah right. hunt, bad. hunt for the Wilder People. Yep, that's there. Good pick, Hander. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well played. And the last one is Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> oh, shit. It really is. Alan. <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. Oh, shit. <laughs> nice one, boys. Nice so what one. did we get for that? Was it? Uh, so we got 
three for that last one, didn't we? So what are we at? Seven. Seven to four. Excellent. All right. Well, that was that was good. That is disrespectful. That is so bad. <laughs> All right, and for the final game this week, we're doing our movie draft. And we asked you guys uh, if you'd like to pick the theme. You could go based off Saving Private Ryan. It was up to you, but what have you chosen for us? We went with Spielberg Films. That is a very, very good pick, Mm. if I do say so myself. Well done. Mm -hmm. Uh, We also gave you guys the option if you'd like to go first or second in this snake draft, and you chose second, I believe. We sure did. Tactical. <laughs> yes, of course. And who's going to go first out of you two when it gets to you? Oh, that's something we didn't think Why don't about. you... You haven't had a turn going first yet, All right, Billy. I'll go first then. All right. And last thing, who would you like to go first out of us? Because this will this will set the tone <laughs> for our draft here. Okay. I've seen your drafts. <laughs> and I'm usually What's that meant to me? <laughs> I'm usually... I usually vote for Daniel. Yeah. What a surprise. So- <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna I want I want Dean to go first because yeah I just do <laughs> oh, take that how you will man. Yeah. I'm taking it how it was intended <laughs> <laughs> alright Dean what is gonna be your first pick for our draft <laughs> oh it's hard because I know what you would pick and I know what you would want me to but there's no way okay Best Spielberg. I am going to get the ball rolling with Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Damn it! <laughs> <laughs> Victory is mine. That's a, that's a bloody good pull. Thank you. All right, I've I practiced quit. a fair bit. <laughs> I think Topher probably knows what my first pick is going to be. I do, and I'm going with Jurassic Park. All right, that's a solid okay. pick. Yep. Yeah, yeah. You guys go again. Of course. Oh, yeah. all right. You're Finger up. on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I'm going to sway back from crowd-pleasing Spielberg to Oscar Spielberg. I'm taking Schindler's List. Yeah, okay. I'm not going to argue with that. That's good. Cool. All right. Now, I mean, I, my pick is pretty obvious for me, but am I going to snag it in the last round? I don't, no, no, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to get it back. I, I'm going Jaws. Jaws is yeah, my I pick. I knew you'd take that. Yeah. Damn it, that was next on my <laughs> yes, list. luckily. <laughs> all right, Dean, what's what's our third movie? Uh, our third movie, all right, seeing as you took Schindler's, I'll take the other Great War movie. I'll take Saving Private Ryan. That's all right, that wasn't even on my list of top 10 Spielberg I've got here. <laughs> what? I- oh, <laughs> what? My good God. Wait, Listeners, take my- that into note, would you please? <laughs> no. When you're no, throwing it right our way. <laughs> Uh, so is it back to my pick then? Yeah. I don't know if this is going to cause upset. Topher's looking at me with white I'm eyes. I'm stunned. He doesn't know what I'm going to say next. I'm going to go with... The post. AI. <laughs> artificial intelligence. Oh, oh, you may as well said the post. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it is a great movie. Wow. Oh, okay. Um. Now that wasn't on my list. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, no comment. No comment from me. Just... <laughs> Let's keep it friendly, fellas. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to have fun. That's all right. <laughs> so we're up to me. Yeah, we are up to you. All right. I'm. I'm going back to indie. I'm going Last Crusade. Okay. Fair enough. Yep. Yep. That's a good pick. So, you know, certainly no AI, but we'll. Uh... <laughs> I bet there are other people out there who like AI. <laughs> Everyone try and remember the Kubrick connection to AI. <laughs> cling, cling to that. Cling to that, people. 
All right, this is the yeah our fourth pick, which is mine. And what have we what have we got? We've got Lost, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, and Saving Private Ryan. Let's go with a nice family-friendly film, E.T. That's a pretty good. Never one. heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I've got that on my list. That's good. All right, we'll take our last pick on a on a on a conversation here. Dean, what do you what do you reckon? Oh, we get a conversation with we, this one. We do. Uh, I mean, how can we have a list? I know you want so bad hook. to have Hook. Yeah, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Can I throw a an option for Minority Report or Close Encounters? I mean, no way, Close Encounters. Um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was next on my list. <laughs> oh, well, sorry, in that case. Um... <laughs> no, he's sucking you out. He wants hook. Yeah, um, yeah I'm, honestly, it was it was going to be Minority Report or Hook, so if you want Minority Report, I'm, ha- I'm very happy to go with that. Honestly, I think a lot more people will take Minority Report as a vote than Take hook. that back. Right. I, I'm not <laughs> personally. Yeah, I would. Li- I'd love to take Hook, but no, I think Minority Report's the better pick. Okay, we'll uh, lock in Minority Report then. All right, that's it for us. Okay, so what do we have? We have Jurassic Park, two Indies, AI. No, you got one. No, you got no, one. No. Oh, you we got Schindler's one. List. Schindler's List. Oh, Schindler's List. Yeah. All right. So Minority Report may well have been. No, I mean no. It's garbage film. Yeah, it wouldn't have been film. on my list at yeah, all. Don't put How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I. I, don't, I am kind of thinking Hook. Hook's on my list. Hook's on my list. Don't you dare. Closing, do, don't you dare. <laughs> I would have to vote for you guys. List. So, okay, I think that's a re- I think that's what it's between. Close Encounters. Close Encounters and Hook. What else is on your list? I'd definitely I definitely take have, Close Encounters. So I've also got Temple of Doom because I've got all three movies on there. <laughs> all three. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, no what else? Catch, uh, <laughs> uh, catch me if you can's on mine. I got that on mine. I got color purple. On I've got color purple. So okay, that's that so was my rest- short. We've we've covered my short list now. Okay, let's think about how people are going to vote. Now's a good time to start doing that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thinking about other people, famously not one of my strong suits. That's true. You don't care about other people. I'm thinking we go hook. I'm happy with hook. I love hook. All right, we're doing hook. All right. Fair. Yeah. Fair enough. Why? <sighs> Terrible choice. <laughs> <laughs> Your plan worked. You're just jealous. Sake. <laughs> All right, so that's the drafts there. We've got Raiders of the Lost Ark, Jaws, Saving Private Ryan, E.T. and Minority Report. And you guys that we watch the thing have got Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, this movie called AI, if you've heard of it. Didn't Kubrick do that one? <laughs> <laughs> and hook. All right, so we'll put this uh, poll up on Twitter about 24 hours after we put this uh, episode out, and you guys can go and vote on who has the best team. So that means vote for We Watch a Thing, obviously. Oh, you'd think. <laughs> you'd think. Team AI. In fact, yeah, all the Russian bots out there, yeah. if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, if you're a Russian bot, just hit that vote button. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's going to do it for this part. Uh, thanks very much for coming yeah, on the podcast, so much, guys. guys. Been a pleasure. Yeah, thanks so much for having us. This was a heap of fun. Is there anything else you guys want to plug? I know you guys have got a Patreon as well. I mean, if you want to find us, we're at wewatchedathing.com and uh, we're on all of the social medias at wewatchedathing. And if you do end up listening to us and like us enough, then sure, we're at patreon.com forward slash wewatchedathing and we put up bonus episodes probably at least once a fortnight and early episodes as well. So feel free to check that out if you want. Yeah, fantastic. Like I, I listen to your podcast every week, guys. It's, it's really enjoyable. Really, like I love how... 
like your your length is quite short, so it's good for people who just want to have a, a quick listen. Who told you? <laughs> <laughs> Size doesn't matter. <laughs> we're short but girthy. I will have you know. <laughs> yeah, I've been told we're so long we can't. They can't handle us. <laughs> <laughs> nah, thank you very much for coming on, guys, and we'll hopefully get you on again at another point for another battle. Just send up the bat signal, we'll be here. Yeah. Well, after we beat you with AI. <laughs> <laughs> nah, right, thanks, 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 guys. Thanks, guys. Nah, thanks a lot, guys. All right, Dean, we're going to take one final break here. We'll pop in a promo from the Casual Cinecast, and we'll be back on the other side of that with our What Else We've Been Watching This Week. Hello! Do you like having your podcast interrupted by promos? Probably not. So we'll keep this brief. My name is Chris. My name is Mike. And my name is Justin. And we just wanted to introduce ourselves. We're the Casual Cinecast. We're a weekly podcast that reviews current movies and TV, as well as the occasional dive into classic cinema with the Criterion Collection. We cover everything from Black Panther to Black Narcissus. From Solo to Sallow. From Love, Simon to Simon of the Desert. If that sounds good to you, look us up on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you there. You know, or, or something, because we probably won't actually yeah. see you. But Yeah, we don't see them when they listen. Right, well, okay. Um, well, back to your podcast. Okay, as always, we're now going to enter in what else we've been watching, and we will not be spoiling these films, so if you have not seen them, do not be afraid to proceed, because we will not spoil them. Okay, Dean, how many extra films did you watch this week? Uh, I saw five extra films. How many did you see? Hmm, I saw four. Why don't we kick it off with you then, Dean? What's your number five film for the week? Uh, unsurprisingly, it's a piece of shit that you gave me to watch called The Wailing or Wailing. Okay. Have you actually seen it? No. I haven't seen Train to Busan either. Bitch. So I give you a five star film and I give you a what star? A one star. A one star. Okay. It's. T- oh, okay. I actually thought you'd seen it. No, I haven't seen any of these. Okay. The Wailing is an Asian film that uh, follows a policeman who's trying to uh, track down someone and something that is causing very graphic disturbances in the town. Okay? This movie is so confusing. I did not understand any of it. Okay. And I don't care. (laughs) Okay? Normally, I would read articles online if I'm unsure about movies, but honestly, I just couldn't care less with this thing. There's a lot of exorcism in this, and it is an absolute joke. It is supernatural. It's so unrealistic. And I understand that when you've got a supernatural element to your films, you have this expectation of, you know, that not everything is going to be 100% realistic. Like, you get that. But it's just stupid. (laughs) Like, the turn of events that take place in this film, it just takes such giant leaps in story that just nothing gets set up. It's The thing is, it's meant to be scary, and it's not scary. It's not even creepy. And okay. for what we're actually seeing on film, like, there's some graphic stuff here. It's just, it's a ball. Like, this is a very boring movie. It's drab. It's poorly made. Avoid it, Hendo. Okay. Uh, I heard some good things about it. My brother-in-law loved it. So I thought I'd get you to check it out first. Fair enough. I don't blame you. Okay. What's your number four movie? My number four for this week is Sicario Day of the Soldado. You're the attorney whose family they killed not they. My father. And now you hunt them. 
Adiós. No good? No. Nah, okay, like, I didn't mind the first Sicario. I thought it was good, but it's not great. But this film, in comparison, is like, it's very, it's very choppy. It's like, it's all over the place. And in the end, it's quite boring. Benicio Del Toro's Alejandro was the mystery man of the first film, which worked well there. But here, he gets a bit more focus on the backstory of his character, and it just didn't sit with me. And... Brolin doesn't really have much to do in this one. He just seems to be phoning it in for most of the time, which is rare these days. He's pretty good in most stuff, except for your stupid film you watched last week as well. The Legend of the White That's Tailed the one. Deer Hunter. There's this sharp shift in tone about halfway through the film for the worst. And there's a couple of new young characters who I never even begun to care about and just end up chewing up the runtime here. There's also a big tease for this event that could happen about three quarters of the way through it. That started to pique my interest again, but the film bitches out on it, and the tease never comes to fruition, which annoyed the hell out of me. It is a different director. Same writer, though, and the, the problem, the big problem is the story. Okay. Like, there are a couple of good things about the film. Like, the action scenes, while minimal, are actually pretty decent, and have a good degree of tension and suspense to them, and the first couple of minutes of the film are pretty fantastic in setting the tone of the film. Hmm. Unfortunately, it's all downhill from there. And it's very clear they're setting up for a Sicario 3. But considering the budget for it was $35 million and it made 44 domestically and 63 worldwide, I'm not sure if they're ever going to do a third movie here. And quite frankly, I don't really care. Like, I don't think anyone was actually hanging out for this sequel, let alone a third in the first place. Anyway, just don't waste your time. Okay. My number four film is considerably better than my number five film. And it is Ant-Man and the Wasp. Okay. This is the definition of a throwaway (laughs) Marvel movie. Is there anything majorly wrong with it? Not really. It's just so safe and inconsequential. As I said last week, I was most looking forward to the tie-in to Infinity War, and even that was disappointing and clunky. It should have been handled much differently, in my opinion. The villains are almost non-existent as well, and the character of the Ghost is a massive waste of time. It feels like the powers that be just like the idea of Ghost superpowers and shoehorned a way in to include them. The cast are all passable, but Paul Rudd again carries this film. I'd hate to think what this would have been like without Rudd's natural charisma. But ultimately, this is a Marvel film, and even a bottom-tier MCU film is very enjoyable, despite its many flaws. Okay, fair enough. My number three film of the week is a fourth film in a franchise that really stopped after three, and they... They started putting out all these straight-to-DVD movies along the way that didn't really tie in with the original trilogy in the first place. I'm talking about American Reunion. Oh, wow. Yeah, I watched this just on a whim uh, one night. I think I was talking to Kira, and she mentioned that she hadn't seen it. I wanted to watch the first one, but it, like, it wasn't available on my Netflix, and I couldn't be bothered getting up to sort it out myself. I saw American Reunion. She's like, I haven't seen it. I'm like, eh, okay, I'll watch that. Uh, it just doesn't hold up at all to the original trilogy. Oh, I thought you were going to say on first viewing. I mean, Kira laughed at some of the jokes because she hadn't seen it before, but I'd yep. seen it and I'm like, they do it better in all the other three films. Wow, okay. Like, I'm not saying those other three films are masterpieces, but they... they first hold- one is. Ah, uh, yeah. First one's great for its time. Like, I haven't watched it recently, but when that came out, holy shit, yeah, that it, was perfect. That's what I'm trying to say. Like, when it came out, like, the, the difference is... For this film, it's it's just a rehash of nostalgia and old jokes that 
don't seem to hit now that it's like 19 years since the first one, even 13 years when it was first released. I don't know. It feels like they were going for more shock value jokes most of the time, and it just didn't do it for me. It's it's funny how this film centers on how much they've all grown up when they try to recreate the exact same jokes that we loved when we were young. Everyone who watched and loved the original have all grown up too, and seeing the gang back together is really the only thing to check out in this movie, but that's not enough. Mm. And I'd, uh, I'd give it a pass. I would pass on it. Fair enough. All right, my number three film for this week is a film I saw a matter of hours ago, unplanned, sitting around with the family. It is Macaulay Culkin's Richie Rich. Nice. <laughs> Love me some Richie Rich. Love Richie Rich. Um, that is a film I saw many, many times when I was a kid. Um, I haven't seen it in years and years and years. And I must say... It's not bad. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's pretty good. Yeah. I remembered a lot of um, a lot of lines from it. You know, you have your own McDonald's. That was the line I was thinking of. What else is there? They, when they're looking at the roller coaster, and the, the the slightly bigger kid says, "Oh, I just ate." <laughs> you always just ate. I was like, "Oh, I'll leave it alone." Classic nineties fat shaming. But, I mean, you know, we all sat around and watched it. It's, I mean, it's not really laugh out loud funny, but it's an easy watch. It's cute. Yeah. It's for kids. Adults can easily watch it and get something out of it. Especially adults like us who grew up with those movies. Like, yeah, it's so I easy mean, to sit down and reminisce on. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Nah, like, yeah, good pick. Good yeah. pick. It was good. Nice. It's just, yeah. Yeah, I did enjoy it. All right. What's your number, what are you up to? Two? Two. My number two film for the week is Cold Fish. Ah, yes. Yeah. And I'm genuinely not sure about this one. <laughs> well, on one hand, it's an interesting story that gradually builds this unnerving tension throughout the film. But the main character goes through a pretty solid character arc. They make him well-rounded and sympathetic, but still with his flaws. The violence in the film is very stomach-churning at points, but it's never the focal point. It's, it's never in your face. It's always in the background for you to notice yourself. Mm. which I didn't mind about the film. My problems with the film is a lot of character motivation. Like, there are people that become invisible here with no real justification at all why they had to become invisible. I can't accept that these people are psycho excuse because our antagonists come off as quite intelligent people. Another thing is that it is exceptionally long for the film it is and meanders a lot in spots. I didn't feel that at all. I definitely felt it in spots. It's pushing its runtime here. Really? Yeah. Is it long? Is it over two hours? Yeah, I think it's like two and a half hours. See, I didn't feel it at all. But it's chilling to think that this is actually supposed to be a true story. I mean, who knows? Like, Who knows? It gets embellished a lot. Like, it could have it easily must. been, this is a true story because that's the character's name. Like, that's, <laughs> who knows? But I am actually suspending my disbelief on this true story because there are some events that happen along the way that they... It's hard to explain without spoiling the movie. So, I, I won't get into it now, but there's just things that happen that left me wondering, how could this be a true story then? Mm. I'll just leave it at that. So it has its flaws, but it is intriguing enough overall to get a thumbs up from me. Very good. I'm glad you liked it. Okay, Dean, what's your number two film for the week? My number two film for the week is another movie you gave me, A Monster Calls. Ah, nice. So A Monster Calls is about a boy who imagines a monster in the form of a tree that helps him deal with his difficult life and see the world in a different way. Now, this whole thing for me is like an old child's fable. The message is so strong throughout. It's a very it's a very clever film. It's beautifully animated, not just with the, the actual monster tree, but 
they tell a few short stories throughout. And the animation on these short stories, much like the um, animation in the middle of the Harry Potter film, fuck, was it Deathly Hallows Part 2, I think, or 1? The animation is really, really well done. Um, it's a yeah, lot I agree of, with that. There's a lot of watercolours and yeah. it flows in and out of the real world really smoothly. Like, it's yeah, it's well done. Um, there's a lot of mature content in this film. It's hard to know who the target audience would be for this film. Um, I must say the ending was fantastic. It's a very emotional film. Liam Neeson is superb as the voice of the monster. He really movie. is, isn't he? He is yeah. truly, truly great in this film. Probably my only gripe is they may force feed the message to us at the end a little too much, literally telling us what to take away from the film. But overall, it's a very well-made film, and I really enjoyed watching it. I would definitely recommend it. We've got a couple of reviews on this on Twitter from Ryan L. Terry. Love this film. Brought tears to my and my friend's eyes. A terms of endearment for a new generation. Also from Movie Geek and Proud, scary, heartfelt, and truth bombs all in one movie. Best voice-to-character acting since Sean Connery in Dragonheart. Interesting. I haven't seen Dragonheart. I think I have when I was younger. Yeah. All right, we're up to our number one films for the week. Yeah. What is Uh, your number one? My number one film for the week, setting up for the sixth film in the franchise coming up, is Mission Impossible Rogue Nation. So I rewatched this, obviously, coming up for the sixth one. I just wanted to get a little catch-up because I'm... Like, it it is... Is that the most recent one? Yeah. Is that the... Tall building? No, that's Ghost Protocol. This is the one where he's on the side of the plane. Oh, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I should rewatch that too. Yeah, I think it definitely tackle. It goes into Fallout from it. Uh, okay, yep. Yeah, so you definitely need to see, see this at least to understand, I'm yep. pretty sure. But to me, the Mission Impossible franchise is one of the most consistent franchises going around. I mean, the second one had a dip, but overall, it is quite the stellar set of films, and Rogue Nation is no exception. Tom Cruise once again shows why he's one of the most bankable stars going around still. I mean, the guy just puts in the hard work with his crazy stunts and entertaining action. I love that Simon Pegg got a bigger role in this one too. His touch of comic relief really adds to this action-filled spy drama. In terms of the story itself, I think it's a really complex but easy-to-understand plot. Turning Ethan Hunt Road gives him the freedom to push the limits on what he has to do to continue his mission while avoiding everyone on both sides. Like I said, the action scenes are spectacular, and the downtime between these are highly suspenseful, mixed with a good dose of story and humour. Another great addition to the franchise. I can't wait for Fallout. Boy, it's a great review. Fallout, boy. It's a little thing. a little chuckle with yourself then. It's a little thing that get stupid, me through. stupid thing you just said. <laughs> Uh, we've got a couple of reviews here. Go full out, boy. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> Movie with the misses. Impossible tasks living up to Ghost Protocol. Rogue Nation finds balance with adding new characters and ridiculous stunts. The motorcycle chase is amazing. Also, Rebecca Ferguson shines as the best female co-star in the franchise. Oh, and did I mention Rebecca Ferguson? I think you did. And from the Contrarians, the best of all of them so far, and the first one to actually make me wonder if Ethan would make it by the end. So thank you for those guys. Dean, on to your number one. My number one film is a film that I actually had ready to go in April and never brought myself around to watch it, but um, I did end up watching it last night. A little angel on your shoulder told you last night. Once again. Why don't you go and watch this one? Because I reviewed it a little while ago on the podcast and... Basically, I said, I need to watch this again. I, I, I can't give this review justice until I see it again, so I want to get your opinion on it. So, number one film, uh, I think I might need to go check this film out. And that film is... You Were Never Really Here. Yes. Starring Joaquin Phoenix. 
Now, I think the reason I didn't want to watch this is because I was kind of getting sick of the Joaquin Phoenix is this quiet weirdo in these super long films like Inherent Vice and The Master. But even though he is a quiet weirdo in this film, it's not three hours long. It's It's less than 90, isn't it? It's under 90 minutes. And honestly, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I was much more perked up when I put it on. So, You Will Never Really Here is about a traumatized veteran who tracks down missing girls for a living. When a job spins out of control, Joe's nightmares overtake him as a conspiracy is uncovered. Now, this film is very original. It's beautifully directed. Choices of what the audience sees and doesn't see are very clever and unorthodox with a lot of action actually happening off screen. I guess in the vein of the you were never really here theme, a lot of what is happening you never really see. Now I just butt in. The director, Lynn Ramsey, do you know what else she did? Nope. We need to talk about Kevin. Oh, okay. And I know you love that film. Yeah, it's a very powerful film. Yeah. Just sort of throw that in there. Yeah, I didn't know that. Very good. Phoenix's character is detached from the world we live in. This is shown in the way the director, Lynn Ramsey, has directed it. As I said before, this film is under 90 minutes and the story does not muck around, showing us everything we need to know in tight sequences that are cut together very sharply. The violence feels real and the story feels real. And the score is great. Kind of a modern beat mixed with 80s synthesizer. Very cool. And holy shit, no joke, I wrote that down. And as I was writing this stuff down, the credits started coming on, right? No shit. Music by Johnny Greenwood. Yep. <laughs> How good is that? My boy. I love it. The guy's a legend. My biggest gripe with the film is that we don't really ever get a lot of character development, but that's not what this movie is about, so I can forgive it. Definitely recommend it, and definitely surprised at your two and a half star rating. I really think you should rewatch it. I'll almost definitely rewatch it. It's very good. Yeah. It's different. It's... Phoenix is really good in it. Yeah. No, that's good, yeah. Uh, I just, I think I just need that little kick to go back and rewatch it. Just get that second opinion. Guarantee yeah. it goes up for you. There's yeah. no way. And that's I'm pretty sure I said that. Movie. I'm pretty sure I said that. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this week. What a big episode this was. Very fun episode as well. Uh, once again, yeah, thanks to the boys, Billy and Topher. We watch the Thing podcast yeah, for coming thanks in. Thanks so much, guys. That was so much fun. Yeah, I had a blast. So, um,. What are you going to be watching this week, Dean? Uh, I'm not too sure, to be honest. I don't think there's any new movies coming out. No, there's nothing really. I think there's Equalizer 2, but I'm not... I haven't even seen the first one. So, what I think we're going to do is for next week, rather than have a a feature new film, we're going to go and give you our top 10 films of 2018 so far. So, that's going to be our little special portion of the podcast next week. Uh, we will have another guest, hopefully, for another round of Pod v Pod. But in terms of movies, I'm going to be watching Tully. It's a movie that I... Oh, yeah. I'll watch Tully as well. And I'm going to get to Foxtrot. <laughs> I didn't do it again this week. I will do it again. I will, I will get to it. I'll watch it next week. And I really want to watch The Rider as well. Those are the three that I'm going to try and get to. Dean, you're going to watch... Oh, I'm... actually, there is something I want to watch. I want to watch Billionaire Boys Club. And I also want to watch Small Town Crime. Yes, watch Small Town Crime, please. After listening to the Countdown podcast, they those guys they really got me interested in yeah, it. Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't me telling him for a month now to watch it. No, I, you've never you mentioned bastard. it to me. Don't give me that shit. I'm not even joking. I do. I tell you, Small Town Crime. Why you watch Small Town Crime? You haven't watched it. I have watched it. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> what do you think of it? It's 
I'm recommending it to you. How do I not remember? You've watched Small Town Crime. We've reviewed a lot of movies on this podcast. I don't blame you for missing one. Uh-huh. But it's if awfully, you miss two... That's awfully kind of you. You're in a very forgiving mood tonight. Oh, I've had fun tonight. That's, okay. what, that's what Saving Private Ryan will do. <laughs> All right. We are going to go now. We're going to go watch Some Like It Hot this week. Thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll catch you next week for Some Like It Hot. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.